Well, well, well. <laughs> I made it three seconds. I made it three seconds. Look what the cat, and you're a big cat person. Scratchy, God bless her soul. <laughs> May he rest in peace. May she rest in she peace. She rest in peace. 19 Sorry. full years. God bless her. Hot Shots got us off on a family vacation, and so we were really desperate. Amen. We called... 15, 20, 25 people. I was going to say, I was 19. <laughs> Stretch, can you bail me out? And you know what? You know what I'm touched? I'm touched. I'm very touched because another old KJR coworker and friend has stepped in to Mitch Unfiltered as kind of a celebrity co-host. And here I've been hearing for years, oh, the people you worked with don't like you. They would never come on with you. Everybody's lining up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I noticed. I could barely get in the parking lot. I could barely get in the studio. The one, the only, yeah. Matthew Stretch Johnson. Hi, Mitch. Oh, good to see you. I'm so nervous for you right now. Why? I am just, well, <laughs> you were telling just what's going on transpiring today on this oh. beautiful day. So I'm worried about you. I'm more I'm worried about okay. you. Okay, I'm gonna be okay. You know, I have, I have. You know, what, like what did Jim Palmer? His anxiety had anxiety, or whatever that was. His his complexes <laughs> had complexes. No, he, he was just so like Who I'm are we talking about Jim Palmer, the pitcher. The pitcher. He the was just with like, the underwear. Yeah, he was just worried about everything. His <laughs> this had a worry for this, and I, you know, I've got it's more. It's the to, full Phil Mickelson thing. You're yes. bringing it up already. Yeah, we, well, we haven't I'm even just, started yet. I know, but my hands are sweating. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be the easiest hour or two. I'm just my I'm nervous uh. because the guy won. And, <laughs> I'm drinking <laughs> seltzer like I'm drinking Rainier beer and the Don't whole thing. Don't be nervous. So, no, I'm great. Don't be great. nervous. Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks for the invite. Now, you came over and we watched the end of the golf tournament mm-hmm. together. This mm-hmm. is episode 143, by the way. Okay. Of Mitch Unfiltered, available everywhere. I got to do this. Yeah. Every bear, everywhere where pod, you listen to podcasts? No. Not yet. You listen to the one that you did with me. I did listen to the whole me. darn thing. Okay, yeah. so you've heard podcasts Yeah, and before. that's why I'm here and not in my studio itself because <laughs> I didn't like how I sounded, but that's, you know. You didn't like the way you sounded? Well, the- You were on episode 131. Oh, come on. It was the one where Kevin Mather- Opened yeah. <laughs> open his mouth. His and name inter- went away, huh? <laughs> Thought about him recently, too. How how this new era of social media and, and news, of the, uh, what do they call that, the 24? Boom, gone. <laughs> Move on. Canceled. He was canceled. Canceled. He was canceled. canceled. That you, so you were on episode 131. Mm-hmm. You were our spotlighted guest. Normally, we do three guests. We yeah. had you as all three guests. Again, you were light on guests. And then but- I, I asked you if you listened, and you said... I didn't like the way I was overmodulated. You didn't yeah, like the way. That's you all I meant by that. Yes, <laughs> and I hadn't listened to Mitch Unfiltered beforehand, and now and I you just, haven't since. I, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. It's all right. I'm it's really right. busy. I'm just no. Really you're busy. not. No, I'm not. You know, you don't have anything to do. Not much. Mitch Unfiltered much. is available everywhere where podcasts are found. Subscribe, listen, and rate. You can also join us as a patron and get the extra shows each week. The P shows we call them. Five dollars a month that costs you. Unfiltered alert. This will be the last show for a week. We're gonna take a week off. Oh, good for you. Hotshot is already gone. Yeah. I'm here with my son. I got the wife and the other son on the East Coast. It's Memorial Day weekend or week coming up, and yeah, yeah. we're going to take a week off. Are you going anywhere? No, just, no. We're just coming to hang out with my gonna son. You're going to decompress from the from the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I get it. It's stressful. It's stressful, man. What do you yeah. know? So you come in here. So is this is this extra 
Or is this no? This is the freebie. This is a freebie. This is a big one. Oh God, bless them! And every okay. and, and, and everybody in the world's going to want to hear. Oh sure. Mitch after yeah. Phil Mickelson wins well, at age. That's 50. why I we think haven't gotten there yet. Actually, I'm the counselor, so I feel <laughs> that's why I feel a little bit of pressure. Is I was like, oh, do I want oh. Phil? No, I don't want Phil. But I want to see history. But I don't want Phil because I'm going to have to counsel. Well, I don't know. Normally, we have this kind of routine that Hotshot and I do where we talk about some of the big sports stories and non-sports stories, and we laugh and we giggle. But I don't know that anybody, A, wants to hear you and you and I talk about sports stories. B, I'm not sure that you even know anything that's happening in the world of sports. It's minimal nowadays. <laughs> it is. I didn't know the NBA playoffs started you yesterday or the day yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, I did. I'm a did. Sonic yeah. fan. I got Be out. Be careful but, with but, the whole yesterdays and day befores and today. Oh, sorry. You've already started with that. I come over today. I'm worried about you today. Okay. You don't want to do a lot of that because people won't it's be podcasting. <laughs> I got it. That's why I'm not doing one. <laughs> I can't even figure that out. When is the Matt Stretch Johnson it's coming out soccer soon. podcast yes, going to begin? It's coming out soon. I'm putting it together. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, I've called my agent. He said, take some more time off. And I said, you got it. So you, you came in and I said, what are you thinking about? And you said, I, I, I flashed back the other day to a meeting that we had with the Sonics. I've done. I, what, what, what is that all about? I've, I have been doing a, you know, and I don't mean <laughs> flashback in a bad way. I just yeah. remember, you know, I think I could be done with my radio career in 25 years. I, I had a blast. Done. Yeah, done. And it could be that way. And if it is, I've been thinking of all the fun, literally the fun. There's stress, there's heartache, there's up and downs, there's mm -hmm. you pounding on a table because... <laughs> what guest wouldn't pick up his phone um, when we were doing those spotlights? Uh, uh. I, and and you said to me, you couldn't get him off the speakerphone. <laughs> I said, man, I begged him, and he said, yeah, get out of my life, man. I want to go on the air, whatever. And and you came in. You know, there was a lot of ups and downs, but there was a lot of ups, a lot of fun stuff. And and you me, have fond memories. Of I have our great memories. Oh, I have great memories. I have I have a lot of great memories. The yeah. bald spot is you. This is, really? I, I get blamed for the ball. No, spot? there's no blame. I think it was a learning, uh, a learning situation. I think uh, the loss of hair definitely has to do with the morning show, <laughs> and I think that's okay. There was some. Was it more relaxed to go on to become a Seahawks employee, and then the the voice, the awesome voice of the Seattle Sound? How many years? You want to know the truth? I I said to myself, if I can produce Mitch's show. I believe I can do anything in America. You're lying. Right I swear, so I swear on right my now. mother's Bible. I said, <laughs> someone said, well, Mitch's producer's role is open. I said, yeah, duh. It was always open. There was a lot of producers coming in and out. And, and I mean that, I mean that in a nice way. In a way, loving way. Because the person yeah. before me went on to bigger and better things. They always I'm, went on to I'm bigger sure, and better things. I'm sure. And I thought, why not learn from a guy that can execute radio? I'll yeah. learn. Yeah. And if I can learn from him and do this properly, I can do anything. I swear that's what I thought. And I lost my hair in the, you know, but it was still great. Anyways, the meetings, meetings were, yeah. were a highlight because you had my back off the air. You had my back. We had fun off the air. We had taco time. We yeah. had lunches. We, we had horse dinners. Races. We had horse racing. Yeah. Yeah. We um, went to Super Bowls together. Super sure. Bowls. Sure. Um, yeah. No, those weren't fun. No, we went to no. Chinese restaurants yeah, that's in Shoreline. In Shoreline. Tup Tim Tai is what I'm trying Tup to think. Tup Tim Tai on Thursdays taco at 11 a.m. Taco time on Tuesdays. Same table. Right. What, did, what did we eat at Tup yeah. Tim Tai on Thursdays? Well, you had Larb Guy yeah. <laughs> uh, with yeah. something. And, and you had Pud CU. Pud CU with yeah. rice soup. 
And not the small, Terry, not the small, not the small. (laughs) Terry, don't give me the small container. Give me the big bowl. We were having trouble with the Sonics. We haven't even started the show. You know, this is a tease. I got to tell everybody. Well, this is like you at 630. And I'm like, no, this is great stuff. 630 in the morning. I'm like, no, this is the show. This is funny. (laughs) The show hasn't started yet. Yes, it has. I will always argue that point. So we were having trouble with our, we we were co-owned by the Sonics, right? Well, it was just not. Yes, that didn't have anything. We we couldn't get a Sonic guest to save my life. We were, we were the voice of the sonics the yeah. sonics were on our the flag station, station. The flagship station, station. Yeah. and yeah. and for some reason they didn't want to put a guest on your show i i don't know why on our show on or your on your or show the whole radio station well i think gastineau got a guest or two okay because okay. you know they didn't want to put guests on my show no and and i get it when it was when, early in the morning maybe early in the morning know. especially on the west coast so we had a meeting we had with a the, meeting. With whom? We had a meeting with... <laughs> we called with, a meeting? <laughs> no, I think they called a meeting because they had had enough of you thrashing me. Th- you would you would give me a bad time, but really On you were giving... Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. And you would give me a bad time, but really you were giving the Sonics PR a bad time. Right. It's really looking Mark back... Mark Moquin. Mark Moquin. Did I go? You didn't think you were going to, and then at the very end you came. You said, Stretch, you handle it. And I'm like, they're not going to listen to me. I show up in sweats and holes in my shirts, and I'm, you know, I'm barely surviving here. They're not going to listen to me. And, and then at the last minute, you say, okay, I'll be there. Where are we going? What, what are we going? Can you get me a salad first? Or really, can you go to the shanty and give me an egg white omelet first? And anyway, so I sent Tyler Orsborne over. So, so we get in this meeting, and... That you were there was a big deal because they wanted to hear straight from you instead of through me or on the air. And, and Graz was just, Graz, I remember Graz just saying, you know, it would, it would be cool if you threw us a bone. You know me, I'll take whoever. Mitch wants the bigger guys, great, I get it, but I'll take whoever. I'll take the 12th man on the bench. Yeah. And then it comes to you. Yeah. And it just kind of... <laughs> and I remember like this should be good this should be good and I, and I didn't did I speak up well it wasn't like hey stretch what do you think it just moved right past stretch and yeah and you said well it just seems to me that there's a reluctance to have any, anyone on my show for whatever reason and then you just kind of laid down the hammer and, and said <laughs> I don't think there's much effort coming from the Sonics Mark, I don't think you're doing much to put a player on our show. <laughs> and I thought, all right, we got through the names, we got through the things, and you just called the guy out. But it doesn't seem like there's much effort on your side. I wasn't nice in the meeting. No, there was a hammer. No, say. there was a hammer, and yeah. then we left the meeting, and you finally said, "Were you embarrassed? Did I embarrass you?" No, you did the talking. It was just one thing I, yeah. you know, and you and said, you remember it. I have like I could tell you right now I have no memory of this. Well, at we all. did that in the first podcast. You brought something up. I have I'm no like, memory really? of this. Yeah. Maybe I've blocked it out. I have no memory of this. Meeting. And you said to Mark Moquin in front of twelve people because I don't want Stretch putting into an effort if it's going to be no. Like you were, you were like, why let's, would let's save my producer's time? Yeah, if it's got to be no, great. I just tell need us. to say no because six months ago it was yes, and we've hadn't had one guest. And I just said, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's all I came up with. And, and we went and had lunch or whatever. And, and you said to me. And we went to Tup Tim Tai and had rice soup. We did. Or we went up on top of the hill yeah. uh, uh, to, the, to the cafe. And, yeah. Um, the and five spot. Thank you. Yeah. And you said, you think we'll get a guest? And I said, absolutely not. <laughs> No, and I'm not going to, you know, now we're going to, why don't we reel back? And, oh, and, and Brett dear. Barry is easy. And, uh, you know, there were some talkers on the team. 
It's not like I don't think I was with you when Ricky Pierce or something, you know, Eddie Johnson, I think we had on. He was good. But anyways, I remember you say, and Mark. And then I was like, oh, now it's real. Now we're putting names to what's going on. But and I've had those recollections lately going back to, you know, like like fun memory, like funny, funny stuff. Yeah. Funny stuff. You look back upon those memories. Yeah, fondly. Absolutely. You do. Absolutely. I want to make sure. Well, I mean, you know, not bitter. No, I don't have a bone of bitter. No, absolutely okay, not. Not bitter. The voice of Matt Stretch Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. He was on episode 131. He was our special guest. And now he's filling in for Hot Shot Scott. His career now has really taken off. He's gone from voice of the Seattle Sounders yep. to out of work mm-hmm. to fill in for Hot Shot Scott. Yeah. Boy. You have, you have reached the big time, Speaking ladies and of dreams. Let me tell you how we do this, because you've never heard this show, except for your own. We do, you and me, this is the tease section. We tell everybody who's going to be on the show. Right. And then we go over a couple of, couple of big stories that are happening in the world of sports. I don't know. There may have been a golf tournament that was played last weekend. Don't do dates. Don't do dates. Try, I I've say last this. weekend. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember who won, but we'll have to go over maybe the major championship that was won by somebody. Somebody with some name recognition will go over that. We'll do our own little thing in the first segment. Then we have, we actually have four guests because this is, this is the last, go, we're going on vacation you loaded for up. a week. You loaded up. And we normally do three. We're yeah. doing four. Yeah. Because I didn't think that you and I would. Well, you and it. I had a tough time and, and I'll come clean. I, I had, a, I was tough to pin down. I gave you 19 <laughs> texts, and I was like, I'll give this guy, you know, a little bit you, of his you're own the medicine. Guy, Matt Stretch Johnson is the guy that says, he, he writes me a text, and I'm going to paraphrase here. Hey, out of, blue, out of the blue, hey, how you doing? Hey, if you ever need, if you ever need a co-host, I'm ready. All right? If you ever need somebody to fill in, that I'm, is I'm ready. That is paraphrasing, yeah. That's pretty much, I can go get the actual one. And I wrote to you, it's funny that you should say that. How about May blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Because I knew Hotshot was going on vacation. And, and you wrote back like, like, oh, my God, really? Psycho? I said, yeah. What do you mean? That- and you said, Sundays are not great for me to record. I will get back to you later tonight. <laughs> yeah. About a week and a half went by, and I still yeah. hadn't heard back. I have you. to raise my hand there. Yes. <laughs> it was a long time. I didn't know. My Sundays are packed. They are packed. Really? Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at me. Yeah. Packed up. Packed <laughs> Can up. I tell you who the guests are? Yeah, I'm excited. You remember Rick Neuheisel? Oh, I yes. Do you I, like Rick Neuheisel? I do like Rick Neuheisel. Rick Neuheisel on the new Pac-12 commissioner. He know. wanted to be the new Pac-12 commissioner. Oh, really? Yeah, but but he didn't get the job. George Klyovkov got it. He's also oh. going to talk to us about all the first-round quarterbacks that were drafted in the in the recent NFL draft. And awesome. I found out that Rick Neuheisel is officiating a wedding coming up. It's his first oh. time. Yeah, he's branching out. He's gonna he's gonna marry. I was supposed to marry who? Me? No, not you. What you I thought you said he's gonna marry you. He's gonna and I'm marry like, some I mutual need to find a partner first. Oh, I see. He's I, officiating a. a I was marriage. gonna do that last summer and I had to cancel. My cousins asked me to officiate. I was. Have you ever done that? Before? I was so flattered. No, and I had to cancel because of COVID and oh, so on and so forth. Yeah. But anyway, good for him. Yeah. So he's right guest on. one. Remember Steve Phillips? Yes. The general manager, the old general Mets. manager of the New York Mets? Yes. Yeah. What's wrong with the MLB? Do you watch baseball anymore? Yes. Your mom, may she rest in peace, oh. loved. Did oh. she keep score? Did oh. your mom keep score keep the Mariners? Keep score. She kept the pitch count. She kept the pitch count. Pitch count and how many foul balls. For some reason, she would do I remember foul. that she about kept her. The, what she was kept her name? Veronica. Veronica. Veronica Ann. Loved her Mariners. Oh. oh. 
She, what Jack Zarensky got it from her. What would she, what would Veronica be saying about the Mariners and their team batting average She'd of one ninety eight? Well, <laughs> Matthew, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Because she'd watch 162. Steve Phillips is going to talk to us about what's wrong with baseball. Baseball's changed. No longer do we want to hit singles, doubles, triples. No sacrifices, no stolen bases. It's either home run or strikeout. We're going to try to launch the ball for a home run Mm -hmm. or we're going to strike out. Mm -hmm. And that's what baseball's become. And I find it to be less than interesting. Now, granted, I watch the Mariners. So there's probably a part of that, well, too. Yeah. But but baseball has has a real problem on its hand, I believe, and we're going to talk about it. Steve Phillips and I are going to talk about it. We've got a best-selling author on the show named Brad Stone. He wrote a book called The Everything Store eight years ago about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. It became a bestseller, and he wrote the sequel eight years later that just came out. It's called... Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of a Global Empire. Now, Mackenzie's taken, right? Mackenzie's taken? You, you, right? You She's were late, married, right? You, you were late on that. Well, one. I'm lining up and I'm... I, I, as soon as I heard about their divorce, I thought... Stretchy! <laughs> so did I. And now I'm looking what for happened? Melinda. I'm looking Melinda. for Melinda well, and nothing. Get after it. Nothing. Get after it. Anyways. And then the, the final guest that, actually is... There are two guests in the final, so it's actually five guests. You didn't think I could fill... I didn't, didn't know. Well, I didn't know I if you were going to show I up. Didn't, yeah, I didn't give you a text back in time. Go Chloe ahead. Kovaleski is a 14-year-old eighth grader who qualified for the Women's U.S. Open. 14 oh years gosh. old. She hits it 290 at 14 off the tee. She's an eighth grader from Florida. She and her mom, Tina are going to join awesome. us on this episode 143 to talk about what's it like for a 14-year-old that they're going to be going off to the Olympic Club in San Francisco in a couple of weeks Ooh. and playing in the U.S. Women's Open awesome. at 14 years wow. old. Yeah, I'm maybe 220. Maybe I can hit it 220. Well, you and hit it. you saw you a hit picture. It, you hit it 300, but yeah. 180 of it goes I know. left. It's wasted. And then it, and then it comes back to the right. I've got to straighten it up. You said you would help me. I would. Okay, I'm busy today. Sundays are bad for yeah, me. Yeah, I got to get out of here. Sundays are really, really I'm bad packed. for me. All right? Love it. Stretchy Unfiltered is almost three years old, and we don't even get out of the starter's gate without some very important people. Evergreen Golf calling Tyler Hay. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, all working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof in Bellevue. Check them out evergreengk.com more than just a financial advisor evergreen is everything wealth zeke's pizza uniquely northwest best craft beer selection anywhere have your favorite beer delivered to your door by downloading the zeke's pizza app now in kenmore coming this week to bellingham that's 20 locations zeke's pizza homegrown in the northwest when our family has a special occasion on its hands Daniel's Broiler is the answer. I asked movie mogul Max, where would you like to have dinner on your 19th birthday? And he didn't miss a beat. We devoured USDA prime steaks overlooking South Lake Union. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. And our outside deck area remodel continues. I'm fired up over our new fireplace. Pun intended. Picked it out at Fireside Home Solutions, of course. John Waterstrat's team was here Helped us plan a fantastic new look 
in our backyard, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Jordan Flowers' team at the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage continue saving unfiltered listeners lots of cash on their monthly mortgage payments. We've got some pulling money out for improvements or other bills and staying right where they are in their 30-year term. It's as easy as a seven-minute call to save a ton of money, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. This is episode 143 with my old friend, Matt Stretch Johnson, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. Every single night, I look at the box score, and I see from, like, numbers four in the lineup to nine, like, 190, 170, 130, 150, 180. Like, and these are regular plays. This is late May. This is not like the thir- second week of the season. Right. Unfiltered. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us, here's here's Marv Albert. Yes, Marv. And Tony thinks it's fat, fat. And all I really care about is whether Marv likes it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so they're laughing, and there's a pause, a hesitation. Oh, boy. Almost like he couldn't hear it. And finally, he just comes on. He says, a solid B-plus effort. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 143 is now officially underway. No hot shot, Scott, but instead, my dear friend, Matt Stretch Johnson. People might have been saying during the tease section, who is Matt Stretch Johnson? Oh, come on, really? Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't know me from the radio show. Well, I would think there's a lot of people who are saying, who's Matt Stretch Johnson? Who's Matt Stretch Johnson? So Matt Stretch Johnson is a guy who came to work for KJR when I was young and you were young and you were an intern, yes, no? 96, I came in as an intern in 96 for New York Vinny. Okay. And then uh, that job dissolved, I was doing Mariner baseball and that job kind of got moved around. Seth Everett came and did the yeah. best post-game show, so yes. on and so forth, and they yeah. did a big production. Right. So I worked midnight, there was nothing there, so I worked midnight to six and I met you because from 5.30 to 6, I was told, look out for the morning guy. Look out. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I've been up here since midnight. I, you know, Hurricane Mitch is yeah, coming through the doors at Mitchie. 6 o'clock or 5.30. I remember a couple of guys looking at me like, who's yeah. the new board op? <laughs> anyway, so yeah, from 96, I was there from 96 to 2005. And my last job was producing with you and, and I had a show So how long Saturdays. did we work together on the morning show? Two and a half years. And then you went to the Seattle Seahawks. I went to the Seahawks for 11 seasons. And joined their public relations PR department. and broadcasting department. And, and you were with the Seahawks and the Sounders, a little bit of both at one point? Yeah, they no? cro- it crossed over, yeah. yeah. I was with the Seahawks 11 seasons and with that, so that was from 2005 um, in two till 2016 but the sounders were there at 2009 right and they split in 2015 and came back to the sounders from 2016 to 2020 we covered this on 131 yeah, yeah. all of a sudden they asked you well they went have you different- ever done play-by-play before they gave me a call and said we're looking for a play-by-play are you, are you interested in doing the play-by-play and i flat out said i've never done it i don't mean to ruin my own <laughs> leverage but i've never done it and he said no we didn't think so but we're interested in a seattle guy with you his just voice jumped right in I was like, yeah, why not? In like the history. I'd and go how many the- seasons? Five. Five. And then you were let go. Yeah, they, they uh, yes. 
Yes. Terminated your contract or just didn't no, renew? No, didn't it. renew. Went in a different direction, so yeah. to speak. You and know, the and direction they, that they went, they didn't get another guy to replace you. No, right? they have. A, I, see, that's another thing. I just don't have too many enemies in this in this industry, in all seriousness. Yeah. Keith Costigan was their TV guy, and so yeah. they simulcast TV to radio, and I love Keith. Keith was one of the first people to reach out to me, you know, and just like, hey, man, sorry about the new, you know, Keith is fabulous. So it's. So they it's just, it instead is of having a radio. A radio only, a TV, as we would call. They would they, they carry went the, to simulcast to yeah. save money, presumably. Well, no, now now recently. So if they have the Sounder games, many of them are, are on national TV. Oh, so then he would do the game with Casey and Casey Keller and Steve Zakowani. Radio only, right? Radio only. So many of the games, if there's I 34 see. games, 17, 18 are on national TV because oh. the crowd, because so what, the Sounders what if, are so good. So you would have done the radio and he just would have had the day off Correct. on national TV Correct. games? Yeah, it was so they myself figured, and Casey. We don't need that. Well, they, I, don't know, I don't know what they figured, Mitch. <laughs> what they figured is that, Matt, we're not going to use you anymore and they're going to simulcast. I don't know what they figured. But again, no bitterness. Keith is great. The Sounders took a chance on a guy with no you know, no background in play-by-play. And, right. and I had a blast. So we now what? Went to four What are you going to do next? I'm, are you I'm retired? Just, Is that it? You're well, just playing it, golf. Every time I look at your Twitter feed, you're playing a different golf can course. Can you respond? Can you at least like, re, you know, I need more friends or what are they called on there? Followers? But yeah, followers. <laughs> Don't care. I'm just joking. What yeah, are you gonna I play do? a lot what of are you golf. Doing? You're taking care of your dad yeah, a yeah, little I'm bit. Yeah, taking care of my dad a lot. What do you mean yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Uh, You're no. playing golf. Playing golf. You and Chris relaxing. Francis of Channel 7 yeah. have become golfing yeah. buddies. Golfing buddies. Who's better? Oh, he's good. Oh, he's way better than me. Oh, Yeah, he's okay. solid. Yeah. Yeah, he's solid. I remember back in the day when you and, I, you and I would work together, I would bring up that I'm going to the golf course and you would poo-poo me. Well, not you only- You poo-pooed the whole golfing I thing. I poo-pooed it and then I would also say, can we record something before you leave? And that's why I was more bitter. That's why I probably didn't like golf. I got something scheduled at 11. No, I'm out the door at 11. Well, I, you know, oh, I have President boy. Clinton ready to go at 11 <laughs> on a cell phone. I, I, don't remember, do, I don't do Bill Clinton on a cell phone. No, I remember that conversation on the air vividly. I remember we had an argument on the air about cell phones. Yeah. And I said, you wouldn't take Michael Jackson on a cell phone. Michael Jackson, excuse me, Michael Jordan. And you said, no, no, you'll have to get him to a landline. <laughs> And I said, Michael Jordan, the best of all time. You can't, you will, would not take him on a cell phone. Nope. Don't care if his limo is parked. No, I'm not taking him on a cell phone. And then at the, I said, President Clinton, you've got a lot to go. President Clinton on a cell phone from Air Force One. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect line. Nope. Stretch. I can't do it. I got to go golfing. Uh, uh, and that's probably where some of the bitterness of golf or I didn't, I would. But then years later, you decided to play and you got the bug. I started, you got I started early last year, really. And, and, and just, you love it now. It was. But we got to get the banana ball away. From yeah. You. We call it a you, fade. We call it a yes, fade. Yeah. When you're, when you're aiming like 90 degrees left. I understand. I used to do that, by the way. There's actually an infamous story that I've told on the air a billion times. So it's times fixable. About, yeah. Well, when I started playing golf, that I played just like the way you did. Really? I aimed dead left and played a, a huge banana ball that yeah. went about 180 yards and landed in the middle. Hopefully landed in yeah. the middle. And there's a famous story that I've told on the air. I told on the radio show. You probably have heard it. I've told it on the podcast where I hit into Jack Nicholas's group and Jack got pissed at me. Hey, you're going to kill somebody, bitch. I, I hit into because... Because the only golf match that I ever played in in high school, I, I qualified for one match. Yeah. I was more of a tennis player. I qualified yeah, for are. one match, and I played behind Gary Nicholas. He was playing the four spot in our in our team. You mean out of Gary five. Player. Gary Nicholas. Okay. 
Jack's son. Right. Jack was there. Right. Okay. And Gary and his and his entourage, and they, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a oh as the like next big, next thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's the next big thing, yeah. and he had like a gallery, including his father and his mother, and they were out in the middle of the fairway, <laughs> right. and I was on the first tee getting ready to hit, and I didn't want the little schmageggy that I was playing against from St. Andrews School to see me aim dead left. It was embarrassing. Aren't you embarrassed when you aim dead left? Oh, I keep Doesn't going. That, I've got a story for okay. you. Some guy right. told me, like, dude, okay. you're aiming for the lake. Yeah. Stop me. He was he, we had three right. and we got a fourth. Well, part of the problem is you're actually over you're actually emphasizing the slice by aiming left. But that's another story. It's a so, fade. It's a, a fade. A fade. The banana ball. So I decided I was too humiliated in my first ever, my only ever match so to aim other, left. You went in the other fairway. No, no, no. I decided I was not going to let this guy on the first tee shot see me aim to the left. That was just, I was not going to do it. I'm going to aim straight down the middle and then I'm going to... How old were you? 16? I was, I was a junior, senior in high school. Gotcha, gotcha. And I'm going to aim straight down the middle and I know where it's going to end up. It's yep. going to end up the next ferry on the right, but yes. I don't care because I'm not not aiming left and the Nicholases were in the middle of the fairway and for the first time in my life I hit an absolute straight arrow right into the Nicholas group oh <laughs> don't you love it when it happens every once in a while it was the first time I'd ever hit a straight ball in my life I just figured it was gonna it was gonna go 40 yards to the right yes did you win the match play? No, I got killed. Oh, I got schmeggy. killed. But Jack Nicholas was waiting for me at the first green. Yeah. Everybody else went to the second, and he was waiting for me. At, Mitch, you're gonna kill somebody. I Watch held. It. I held Jack Nicholas's scorecard. Uh, you know the old school Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson standard. Yep. Yeah, yeah. The, the board at, at Seattle Golf Course, the you Seattle did. Symphony, had he Watson, Harry Guyvin, and Don Bees. I don't know who Harry Guyvin is. I know old Don Bees. Old yeah. Seattle pro. Yeah. And and I held their uh, wow. Yeah, I was an when you were a kid. I was a caddy at Seattle Golf Club. Wow. And they were they were kind of. I mean, they were decent. I mean, they weren't talking to the scorecard kid. And I held. Yeah. Well, I suppose we should get into the news of the of the week of the week. I guess that's why I'm here. I guess I have to do it. I guess I have to do it. Congratulations are in order. It pains me to do it, but it's time that I tip my cap to the one and the only. Robert Lewandowski, who won the European Golden Shoe Award with 41 goals in Bayern Munich. He's amazing. He's amazing. All he does is score goals. I am so happy you brought that up. Robin Lewandowski, Polish, Polish I international. Know. I don't even know who I've Robert Lewandowski him. is. Oh, I've seen him play in person. He's amazing. Oh. I've seen Poland play. Robert Lewandowski. I can't believe this is his first golden shoe. I don't Stretch. think it is. Yeah, I think of it's all of Europe. Messi, Messi's got like five or six, oh, doesn't so he? Oh, so it's all of Europe. He yeah. usually leads Germany okay, because he plays for Bayern Munich. He won the golden shoe. God bless him. I figured he he tops our show. I see. Nobody else did anything more important over the weekend, No, 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 no. Well, Man City won another title in England. Yeah. And, and um, I think Swansea and Brentford play for <laughs> promotion next Saturday at 6 a.m. <laughs> the Champions League is next. Uh, Let's not do days. I know, but it's... Let's I just know. say it's coming up. Sorry, I've got a long it's way. Coming it's coming up. my first podcast. Congratulations are in order, Stretchy. Yeah. Congratulations are in order. It pains me to do it. But Phil Mickelson has done something that nobody in the history of golf has ever done. He wins in his 50s. He's one of us. It's you and amazing. I are you and I are in our 50s. He wins a major championship 
at the ripe age of 50 years old. He breaks Julius Boris's old record. He was 48 when he did it. He wins the PGA Championship. I never thought in a million years it would happen. I watched Thursday. I watched Friday. He was the leader, and I was like, okay, this is a nice story. He won't let me down. When he'll did fold, you think? When, he'll fold like when? a day. day when? 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 Fold? Saturday Oh, afternoon? he wouldn't even make it through the front nine on Saturday. Wow. He's going to fold like a Kmart deck chair. There's no question about it. And then Saturday came, and he kind of hung in there, and then he was leading at the end of Saturday. I was like, what? Hung in okay, there. But, but, but it'll even make it even sweeter when he folds on Sunday. For you. I'll get up. I'll watch. I'll watch the disaster, the calamity, yeah. the debacle. You and the Miami Island. Dolphins will shoot some champagne. Hey, well, that's right. We'll, we'll watch it. Yeah. I mean, he's got, come on, he's got Brooks Kepka in the final group with him. There's no way. That yeah. Phil Mickelson is going to be able to hold this together. Yeah. Louis's got a putt better than he did. And one of the most excruciating golf courses in terms of its difficulty in America with winds blowing at 25. There's just no way. He's 50 years old. He's an old altacocker. There's no way, Stretch. No. No way. No. And then three holes in, he's still winning. And six holes in, he's still winning. And nine holes in. Tick-tock, tick And I'm like, tock. what am I? What, this is actually going to happen. I'm going to actually have to give him credit on episode 143. And on episode 143, when did you think when you it's were? It's over. When did you think it was over? 11th, 12th, Yeah, I thought 13th. when he turned for home. Kept, kept well, going Well, the down. thing about, the, the thing I, I fully expected of all people I mean, you don't follow it that closely, but Brooks Kepka is like a known assassin. Mm-hmm. He's so tough under under the circumstances, tough under the pressure and the stress. Now, he's got a bad knee, but in my mind, there was no way that he was going to fade. He was going to push Phil Mickelson to have to play his best. And we'll see what win. he's got. Yeah. And they all backed off. It was almost like they all had money on Phil Mickelson to win. And, and Brooks Kepka. I mean, the, what a bitter disappointment. Not that I'm a huge Brooks Kepka fan, but, you know, the easiest holes for these guys on these courses are the par five. Yes. They they typically crush just, them. They crush. He double bogeys the first par five. He bogeys the second par five. He bogeys the... He was four over on the first three par fives on Sunday, and he would typically be two or three under. There you go. There's six shots. There's a, There's a six shot difference. Yeah. I mean, it was just... It was just inconceivable to me that nobody... Stepped up and put nobody pushed him. So more credit to Phil because that's the way the course was playing. Louis, my guy uh, Louis. Do I have could, to? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. He's the only guy that consistently oh. got that lead. Right. He got the lead what Thursday, Friday morning, Friday yeah, after nine holes of yeah, Friday. Yeah, he's got the lead. Yeah. And he held the lead the whole for way. two and a half rounds. Because what they say about so impressive. what they say about the older the older golfers us, is us. Well, no, the guys that play out there yeah, that are yes. that are good, not that's us. A joke. Yes. What they say about the older golfers is, yeah, a guy like Phil Mickelson can have a good round in a major championship. Yeah, he could be in contention at the halfway mark of the Masters or the U.S. Open. But 50-year-olds, 52-year-olds, 54-year-olds, over four rounds, right. the cream, what is it, rises yeah. to the, whatever it rises is. Rises to the top. I know that's probably not the sure. right expression. No, it's fine, but do you point... <laughs> Saturday, they, just, they can't. They can't hold it together from for Saturday's four back nine to yeah. Sunday's just, full round. It's no they, chance. They, they're going to wilt at yes. one at some point. Yes. Yeah, they're all capable of playing good golf for a round or sure. two, but they're going to wilt. And I just waited for it. I waited for it like it was promised to me, hour after hour, day after, after day, yep. <laughs> and I just waited for him to. <laughs> 
to trip and fall over himself so that I could start tweeting and, and cheering and, <laughs> and cheering. And it never happened. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. He won. It's amazing. He won. It's, it's, and the thumbs up. Ugh, oh, I got to I got to see the thumbs up. Ugh. He can't wave to anybody. Well, I he think someone got a hold of him. Someone got a hold of him, not to sound like you. This is this is you <laughs> in 2004. This is you. Someone got a hold of him and yeah. it's like, "Can't you wave to people?" No, I don't. I just I can't. Well, how about a thumbs up? And he thought about it for about 24 to 48 hours a couple weeks ago and I No, could, this could, is years and years and he's years. He's been doing the thumbs up forever. Oh. Oh, see, Not I, forever. How long has he been doing the thumbs years. up? Are you kidding? Yeah, the thumbs up. Oh, it's awful. Oh, you don't like the thumbs no. up? No. You're on my side with Phil. No, I, I think the thumbs up is dumb. <laughs> I think the thumbs up is dumb. I think a oh. wave is really easy oh. to wave to wave. Thumbs up is a very soccer thing to do, by the way. Like you give, a, you, you get a pass over the top and you can't get to the ball and you give the defender a thumbs up for, oh. hey, thank you, thank you for the long pass. The thumbs up. Thumbs up it does not the belong on a golf up. course in South Carolina. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't. But he yeah. was the only guy that sustained it. That's what, and at 50 years old, you and I are both in our 50s. You know that? I am. We're in I our am. 50s. I am. We're in our 50s. I think we're in decent shape. I've played my, guy, I think I've played my best golf in my 50s. Really? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean anything you because these guys are great at 20. I was not great at 20. But I think the best golf no, I've ever played was at like four, between ages 48 and where I am now. Yeah. Really? Yeah. This is going to surprise you, but this pisses me off. <laughs> Why? Because you had to run out of the studio to go play golf, <laughs> and you weren't even playing the best golf. I thought you were like amazing golfer. I mean, uh, I get the addiction because now I'm addicted. Yeah. I am fully Can addicted. Can we fix the banana ball? It's called a fade, but yes. Can I call I like, Phil? Phil will help you. He will not. He's too busy. He'll give you a he's, thumbs up. Yeah, he'll thumbs up me. <laughs> like, hey, Stretchy, good effort, Stretchy. Thumbs up. And I'll be like, no, uh, thank you. Don't even send your brother. I once, and I'm not going to go into the whole Phil Mickelson thing because it would take too long. There's just so much. Well, I just but don't I'll, get I'll give it. you a little. Can I give you a little nibble? Yeah. This is just, this is just, this was my first, my first. I actually interviewed him. I told you at halftime of a Sonic yeah, broadcast. But do you remember the game where Rex Chapman falling out of bounds at the buzzer of a playoff game? It's ooh, the most, yes. most famous moment in Suns basketball history. It's actually chronicled with a picture, and you see me underneath the basket, and they have a little thing that says Sonics announcer about to come onto the court. Like, what was happening when Rex Chapman hit this three-pointer? By the way, I think that the Sonics ended up winning that game in overtime. We don't ever talk about that, but he was courtside. Phil Mickelson was courtside, and my producer gave me the news a little bit before halftime. Mitch, you're to interview Phil Mickelson. Was it set up? Yeah. Or was and, it like Pat had no, Haller had, sending me down to the kingdom? I had no choice. I had to sit down with oh. Phil Mickelson. So I interviewed him, and I also introduced him. Okay, what year is this? 97, what 98? What year was it? You could go back. When when Rex Chapman hit the shot. Well, I know, but when the Sonics were... Went to the championship series. So 96. Six, yeah. 96. 96. Your, your love of he, Phil Mickelson was back I, in 96. He and I bonded on at the court. It was great. But my little nibble was going to tell you. I once saw him. This is a true story. Before I even moved to Seattle. <laughs> this is a true story. This is a true story. I was working for at WTEM in Washington, D.C. Yes, you were. I probably was 21, 22, 23 years old, right? And they had a they had a tournament, a PGA tournament, still do. I think they do. It was called the Kemper Open. It was in somewhere in the That was the a big DC boy. Area. Wasn't that a big one? Yeah, it was a, yeah. Not a, yeah, kind of a big one, a PGA. Yeah. And he was a young guy, whatever, whatever. 
and he was playing and I was out there and I watched a couple of radio guys go up to him and say, Phil, could we ask you a few questions? We're with WTOP radio, we're with WTEM radio, whatever. And he looked at him, he says, I'm not much of a radio guy. <laughs> I'm more of a TV guy. I'm not a radio guy, but thanks guys. Thanks for asking. Oh. <laughs> That was the first time I was ever. So it started. It started there. And I looked at the guys. I said, "Did he just? Did he just say what I thought he said?" said. I'm not much of a radio guy. I'm more of a TV guy. It's below me. (laughs) It's it's below me. Well, that's a good beginning. beginning. That explains. And then the other story I tell a couple of years later, same (laughs) tournament. The other the other story I'll tell about him that was kind of fun is a few years later I was at the same golf tournament and I was. I had inside the ropes access where you could get inside the ropes and walk, walk still with in the Washington in Washington, D.C. Yes, yes. at Avenel, the TPC at Avenel. And he was paired with John Daly. Phil Mickelson and John what Daly pair. were paired together. Wow. And I was like, whoever was at the tournament, whatever member of the crowd that was at the tournament, they were all wanted to see this group. Those two. Yeah. And they were playing a par five. I'll never forget it. It was like the sixth hole at the time. It was a little par five around to the right. There was a creek in front of the a creek in front of the green on this par five. And the creek was probably seven yards wide. And the water in it was like up to your knee, right? Seven yards wide? Seven yards. Yeah. You, had, a, you had to fly the creek to get it on the green, though. Got you. Got and there was you. a little bridge that you walked over sure, the creek. Cute to go little over the, bridge, cute I'm little sure. Bri- cute, yes. cute little bridge, right? And they're playing, and they're, and they're both playing, and they decide to both go for the green in two, this par five. And they both hit it into the creek. Daly hits it into the creek. Mickelson into the creek. Now, Mickelson is walking 30 yards ahead of Daly. Daly's got like a smoke in his mouth and a drink. And, and Mickelson comes over the little bridge, takes a look and surveys and sees that, oh, you know what? It's not in that deep of water. I'm going to go in and play it right out of the creek. And he sits down on the bank and everybody goes, woo, Phil, yeah, Phil, woo, Phil. Go get him, go yeah. get him. He starts taking his shoes off, taking oh, his traumatic. socks off. He's rolling up his pants, both legs, and people love this. He's going to go down and play the ball out of the water. Well, Daly's fit to be tied. He's just pissed off. And Daly comes to the to the other side of the creek with his heater with his heater and he's looking at the creek and there's phil on the other side phil's already gone over the little bridge and he's on the green side of yep, the yep. Uh, and daly comes down with his caddy and and he see, and he's on the opposite side of the creek and he looks he sees his ball and he sees he can hit his ball too so while phil is t- rolling up his pants daly just walks clop, right clop clop walks clop. right down doesn't use the bridge walks right down and through the lake <laughs> through through the creek the water with his up, shoes on shoes on yep. throw me a wedge the guy yeah. throws him a wedge phil is still <laughs> rolling things up and he blasts it out then he comes out and he's got algae up to his knee in white pants john daly and you can hear him his there's water yeah. in his shoes he doesn't even towel off and now he's standing there waiting for phil to go down and hit the shot Pretty dramatic and, and then put the put the yeah, yeah. but daly literally walked through a creek love it just walked through the creek love it so i guess i got to give credit where credit is due. well i mean everybody's tuning into the podcast wondering is mitch levy gonna give film he's got to give him credit the guy's 50 years old he won the pga championship it doesn't matter what day of the week it is right now i'm here to counsel (laughs) 
I raced over I here. I don't need counseling. I don't need to give dates and days. I've been taught that now twice today. But I mean, not wh- today. What you didn't you didn't get done? <laughs> Son of a gun! But but it, yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's a feat that yeah. that oh that was history. Yeah, it was history. That was I remember. And no, this is I don't watch golf. And, but I did, I did watch yeah. in 86. I remember watching the masters and I right. watched watching Jack and that was right. awesome. Right. right. Everybody loved him. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. But this was incredible. I mean, a 50 year old at that level and what made it more incredible, you just listed off the players. Nobody could make a dent. And that's because he was so consistent for four days. And I don't know what I'm watching, but I'm watching him. <laughs> I'm watching him beat. The cream of the crop, yeah, right? The cream of the crop. All those players, and they kept, you know. Cream of the crop. Kept yelling, you know, with the microphone, up next, Ricky Fowler. Didn't do anything. These guys didn't do it. Speak, nothing. Kept good dropped. It is amazing. We, we saw history. I guess 50 is not like 50 used to be. Well, they were saying that also. Well, uh, you and I were talking about it before we started. When we were kids, somebody who was 50 years old. Oh, my God. Just wrap them up and throw them away. <laughs> You know, I mean, 50 was ancient. Yeah. Do yeah. you remember what I remember? We'd go to yeah. Lake Chelan every year. Yeah. And we were eight, 10 years old fishing and someone was having their 50th birthday party. Yeah. And my brother's like, <laughs> look at that old that guy is. Like, that's old. 50 was old. 50 was old. When in the 70s? Yeah. Yeah, 50 was I old. I don't think people were in great shape at 50 either like they are today. No. Well, that's a whole nother podcast, yeah. I believe. But yeah. He's yeah, in pretty good shape. Phil's in good shape. And he's hitting the ball for on one of the holes they put up the, the graphic. He hit it further than anybody in the whole in the whole field. Well, he's the longest of, drive in the whole field. One of the parts that you have to recognize and give him credit is he's reinvented himself. His body's different. I'm tired of hearing his breathing instructions. I'm <laughs> I'm tired of that. I was just like, yeah, my sleep doctor tells me the same things. Like, yeah, I mean his breathing, his, his temperament. Yeah. It looked like one time when I was watching this one day, he almost got mugged by the people on the 18th. Yeah. Now, anybody with the with the tournament on the on the line, you'd freak out. Yeah. Get away from me. Yeah, I secur- did security didn't do a very security. good job right there. Yeah, he didn't but, do a very good job right there. But still, he kept his calm. He sat and he watched Brooks. Brooks or Brooke? Brooks Kepka. Yeah, Brooks. Yeah. He watched Brooks take his shot. Yeah. And he pumped his fist and went on his... Hey, you got to give him credit. It was it was awesome. It was awesome. Say it. It was awesome. <laughs> Congratulations to Flipper. Congratulations to Titskla. He's the new PGA champion, which is, by the way, his sixth major, and he rises up the charts... As he gets his closer, his first closer. tournament he won in '91, 30 years ago. Yeah, '91. That yeah. when I heard that yeah. the other day. Yeah. <laughs> when I heard that, I was like, yeah. "Oh my god!" That, to win one and then 30 years later, you're yeah. playing. It's not, pretty impressive. You're, you're not playing the uh, Nile Country Club Open. No, you're, you're not playing the Jackson no. TPC Jackson. No. You're playing the one of the hardest courses in America. He's won in Seattle. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah, he won the Freddie Couples Invitational one oh. year. Did you, at Inglewood Golf Club. It's a nice In a course. playoff over Fred Couples himself. I they knew a, a guy one, that played at Inglewood. Yeah. Did you interview out, him at Sahali? When, are you set up out there for a few days? Yeah. You didn't interview him or no. did you tell I introduced him? I introduced yeah. him on but the But you told this producer, bring anyone over but Phil Mickelson. Now playing <laughs> Phil Mickelson. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we've got other stuff. Let, let's. Well, well done. Good for you. You got through it. You got Did I do okay? It. Yeah, you seem like you're breathing pretty well over there. You're not <laughs> hyperventilating or anything. I was way more nervous than you. But good for you. 
Good for you. You have to. You have to, what you saw was history, and uh, be, I didn't want it to happen. I give you a B plus. You did all right. You did all right. <laughs> all right. Four guests. Five guests on this episode one forty three, and then you and I will finish the the podcast off. Okay. Done deal. I'm ready. It's time for Quizlet number three. I improved from one to two, ladies and gentlemen. Here she is, Katie Versio, senior financial planner. Our partners. Evergreen Golf Call. How you been, Katie? I've been good, Mitch. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. I'm fearful, but I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> Three questions. Okay, so I'm going to start you off with an easy one, and the, the topic today is about taxes. Okay. The 2020 tax filing deadline has been pushed back from April 15th. Uh, what's the new tax filing date? Is it July 15th, May 1st, April 30th, or May 17th? Easy one, May 17th. They gave us more time in 2020 than in 2021. Yes, I tried to trick you there. Uh, last year it was July 15th, but this year it is May 17th. Okay, one for one. Question two. So tax reform is a major topic on everyone's mind this year. Uh, Biden's administration is proposing increasing the top income tax rate from 37% to what? Is it 40%? 42.5%, 39.6%, or 38%? I'm going to be two for two, 39.6%, Katie. That's right. Yes, that was what it used to be before the tax reform in 2017. So, yes, it's proposing from 37 to 39.6. I'm two for two, and I'm going for the clean sweep. Okay, let's see if I can get you here. So um, another major component of tax reform is a proposal to lower the federal estate tax exemption amount from $11.58 million. Now, Washington State has our own a state tax exemption amount. So is that $1 million, $2.193 million, $4.2 million, or $6.193 million? The Democratic way, Katie. <laughs> um, I don't know what Washington State's current tax exemption is. I should know that. I'm going to throw out the extremes. I'll throw out A and D. Let's go $4.2 million. I'll stay with C. Okay, so actually it's B, okay. $2.193 million. For anyone that passes away, if your estate is above that amount, you have to pay taxes to the state on that. Not too bad. Two for three, Katie. Not too yeah. bad. You'll come back soon. Evergreen Golf Call. We love them. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. I want to be very clear about my top three immediate priorities for the conference. First, we will protect and support our student athletes. Second, we will make decisions to optimize revenue for our member institutions, including renegotiating our media distribution deals. And third, we will do everything we can at the conference level to make our teams more competitive in revenue generating sports, especially football. Episode 143, it's been a few months since we've caught up with our next guest, who, by the way, used to be the best athlete in his family. He used to be the best coach in his family. He used to be the best golfer in his family, but apparently he's none of the above any longer. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Here he is, the one, the only, Rick Neuhauser. We still enjoy visiting with you, even though you're runner-up in all those categories in your family these days. Actually, I might be a distant third in many of them. Uh, yeah, this this is uh, this happens to you as you advance in age, as as you no doubt will find out. But uh, yeah, my son Joe is uh, playing great golf. He's uh, had some big accomplishments. He's part of a Boise State team that. Uh, unfortunately, their season just concluded as they did not advance past the regional in New Mexico. But it's the first time the team had been to the regionals since 1994. So great season for Boise State golf. Uh, he had three top 11 finishes. And Mitch, he also just recently qualified, got through local qualifying to be in the sectionals for the U.S. Open. Oh. So he's he's going to uh, play at Rolling Hills Country Club on June 7th, 36 holes, trying to get in uh, our nation's Open. Yes, it'll be that? exciting. And he's right now, as we speak, practicing at Chambers Bay, getting ready to uh, try to play in the U.S. Amateur 4-Ball. So that? it's all going good for Joe. Is dad on the bag, by the way? Is dad ever on the bag anymore? You used to come you know, on this I, show and say I, dad I is on the bag. <laughs> I have been kicked to the curb. I talk too much. I have too many opinions. Uh, I don't allow him to be mad when he wants to be mad. Uh So I have been told you're a four caddy and nothing more. You just go far ahead. You give me a fist pump every now and then we'll be good. But his brother Jack is on the bag and Jack uh, does a great job of uh, handling the ups and downs of uh, young Joe. And you have a wide receivers coach. Now at UCLA, yes. right? Gainfully employed, Jerry Neuheisel <laughs> is now part of uh, Chip Kelly's uh, staff at UCLA. Yeah. No longer am I being asked for, uh, you know, a little help with this month's rent or anything like that. Yeah, it, it's all great news. All great news. He's very excited. You know, he loves Chip Kelly. He thinks Chip Kelly is a genius when it comes to football. At the end of the day, it's all getting, they got to get good enough players. Uh, as we all know, it's not uh, X's and O's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's. So yeah. hopefully that'll be the case. But I, I'll, I'm excited. I've never seen a happier kid than the day he, called me after his first practice where it was his guys and no one was telling him, Hey, go hold this cone. He was basically in charge. He had a blast. That's really nice. That's really nice. Congratulations for all of your family successes. But we knew that about, about the new Heisels. Listen, the PAC 12, the last time you and I chatted, you threw your hat into the ring on the Mitch Unfiltered podcast. <laughs> Unfortunately, my hat's been a lot of rings. <laughs> the Pac-12 went off the board with the new commissioner appointment. No Gene Smith, no AD. Instead, they went with an entertainment executive who's got TV and streaming experience. I hope I can pronounce it right. George Klyovkov is the new Pac-12 commissioner. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, as you pointed out, they went off the board. Uh, It's the second time they've gone off the board. Larry Scott was not uh, a traditional pick coming from the women's tennis circuit, a television guy, a guy that had gotten a lot of acclaim for building that brand. Uh, George Klyovkov comes from the from the world of television and entertainment, uh, having done that for MGM most recently. Uh, I found it interesting that he comes from the MGM world because I think sports gambling is going to become a part of sports that we consume on television. It already is, but uh, I think it's going to become part of the world of uh, intercollegiate athletics. So that I think is a is an asset that he has some experience in that department. The question is, Mitch, 
and I think it's the question for everybody that loves the Pac-12, what does George bring to the table of football? What does George do to help football get off the uh, the hind tit, if you will, of Power Five athletics and get to a place of significance again so that our big brands, the USC's, the UCLA's, the Washington's, the Oregon's can compete for the national prizes again. Right now we're woefully behind and how George does and listening to the coaches as to how to get the recruits to stay home. I find it fascinating that as we begin the 2021 season, the starting quarterback for Alabama is from modern day high school in Orange County, California. The starting quarterback for Clemson is from St. John Bosco in Los Angeles, California. The starting quarterback for Oklahoma is from Phoenix, Arizona. And the Mm. odds on favorite to be the starting quarterback at Ohio state is from Rancho Cucamonga, California, which would have been just years ago, all kids that would have ended up in the PAC 12. Wow. But the college football playoff and the power of these particular brands, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, has have them whisked off. And, and it's George Klyovkov and whoever he brings in to assist him. He gave uh, a little mention that he might lean on somebody new to come and help him with the football side of things. Whoever he brings in and that team have got to figure out how to keep these kids home. New media deals. And visibility for the conference, does it start right there? Getting the, the great players? Absolutely. And, and you know, the next question is, as you dive into the world of these meteorites and, and stuff, is how important is the dollars? Obviously crucial. But we we willing to give a little back for the promotional value of getting on the, mm-hmm. some time slots that are friendly, not only to the fans of the Pac-12, but also that get, the eyeballs and the promotional ability of some of these networks. My own company that I work for CBS is losing the SEC. Now I'm not pretending to tell you I'm in the big rooms that are making these sort of decisions, but I envision a, hopefully a conversation that says CBS, you will give you that three thirty window that the SEC parlayed into fame and riches. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's make a deal and get the Pac-12 in that kind of a spot. That would be exciting for me and, and exciting, certainly, for those fans of the Pac-12. One head coach in the Pac-12 anonymously, Rick, said to ESPN, I don't know if you read this, the Pac-12 network is the single biggest problem we have in recruiting. That's a head coach speaking from the Pac-12. That's your former network. It was a good idea at the time, I guess, but it has really hurt us. Do you think the Pac-12 network goes away now under the new commissioner? In its current form, I can't imagine it surviving in its current form. It it either has to be stripped down and started anew, or it has to get a uh, network partner that can give it the kind of legs that the SEC network has with its relationship with ESPN, the Big Ten network has with its relationship with Fox. The distribution is the issue. The Pac-12 network, conceptually a good idea. The seven regional network or the six regional networks along with the national deal. But because of it and the construction of the contracts and it just wasn't given the kind of distribution. DirecTV only wanted one. It didn't want to have all seven, but they couldn't split them apart. And therefore, we 
fell in, in distribution. And when you're in homes as a coach, I totally agree with the, uh, the coach, regardless of who it was, because when you're in homes from far away, they want to be able to consume and watch the games on television. And you can't promise that that will be the case because they can't get the PAC 12 network. Yeah. It's going to have to be uh, retooled and that will be one of the early uh, jobs of George Klyovkov as he begins his tenure as commissioner. Neuheisel had to like that Klyovkov came out of the gate at his press conference with expanding the football playoff system. I know that you're a big fan of that, and that's one way to get some Pac-12 teams in the playoff. Let's let's make it more about eight or 16 teams, right? Yeah, Mark Richt went as far as 32 teams. He said uh, we have to create more bites at the apple uh, so that there's more interest, not only for fans, but he goes as far as saying for players because we're seeing so many players opt out now, uh, many of them using the pandemic as the reason. But you're going to see, as we saw so many opt-out guys still get first round accolades uh, on that Thursday night of the NFL draft that we're going to see more and more of this. So the longer we can keep these kids interested about what they can play for, the more we're going to see the really good players want to continue to play. So uh, the college football playoff expanding, I think is an absolute necessity to that end. Before we get off of the topic of the new commissioner and the Pac-12, I want to ask you a little bit about the quarterbacks that were recently drafted in the NFL. Name, image, and likeness. We know it is NIL now. It's a huge topic, Rick. I know you've talked a little bit about it in different places. It's a delicate topic that goes hand-in-hand with TV exposure. On one hand, the Pac-12 has the LA market, They've got San Francisco. They've got Seattle. On the other hand, recruits are being coerced that their earning potential is greater in a more visible and successful conference like the SEC with not necessarily the big markets. I support it. Uh, I think most of us do, but I'm also a little scared at what it will do to any parity that's left in the sport of college football. Where are you on the NIL issue? It's, uh, It's a fascinating frontier. I'll use it that way because I'm not exactly sure what will become of it. I find it fascinating that Mark Emmert has, you know, challenged the working group from within the NCA to come up with their, their proposals for, you know, monitoring NIL, what the, what the cans and cannots are as student athletes start to be able to profit from their name, image, and likeness. One of the things he says is a can't, at least the working group originally had said was a can't is using the university logo in any of this stuff. Well, to me, that's a miss. These kids brands are synonymous with the university sure. logo. Sure. Uh, and it seems to me like this is a, a money earning opportunity for the university as well, given that the logo can be associated with it and, and so forth. So I don't know if that will be a deal breaker or not, but I, I can't imagine the brand not being in, in some way, shape or form used in these endorsements, which then creates an opportunity for others to use the brand. And then the other piece of this action that I'm curious is to see is where an agent or a representative looking at the fine print of these deals becomes are they allowed to use them? Because right now that is way a place where, you know, a line is drawn in the sand with the NCAA agents become, that's where you cross over into professionalism. But as you're dealing with these issues, how can you not have somebody with some expertise 
looking over these deals being made. So I think there's so much more to still be done. I hope that we find some common ground that makes sense for all so that we don't lose any semblance of parity that we might still be hanging on to. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know that anybody knows, Mitch. The health of the sport is obviously most paramount. Now, I'm certain that you watched with interest the NFL draft as all those quarterbacks that you and I discussed during the college football season went to their respective NFL teams. Trevor Lawrence goes with Urban in Jacksonville. Zach Wilson to the Jets, number two. The Niners paid big time, Rick, to be able to get up to, to draft Trey Lance, who none of us have ever watched play a college football game. At least I haven't. Um, Justin Fields with the Bears. Mac Jones is the next Tom Brady, I'm told now, in New England. What did you think of all that? that uh, jostling for position atop the, the first round with all those quarterbacks? Well, much ado about nothing with respect to the first pick. I think everybody knew that it, Trevor Lawrence was going to Jacksonville and Urban Meyer, for all intents and purposes, left his cushy job with Fox to go be a coach again because he, he knew he was going to get to start with that quarterback in tow, which is uh, obviously not the luxury of many NFL head coaches to have that kind of uh, prospect uh, playing the most important position. Uh, the Zach Wilson thing, I was a huge fan of Zach Wilson. Over the course of the season, BYU was outstanding. Uh, a lot of questions about the schedule that they played, but Zach Wilson, to me, has a lot of Mahomesian tendencies, mm -hmm. the ability to throw from a lot of different platforms. I'm anxious to watch him play. Curiously, Mitch, through the grapevine, I heard that there were a lot of people worried about his weight that he had gained some weight during uh, the evaluation process and dad's a big man, whether or not he's going to be able to keep himself in shape. So that's something to just keep your eye on if you're a Jet fan. The, the draft started at number three with the 49ers because I, I was told that Kyle Shanahan was really into Mac Jones, that, that he believed that Mac was the perfect guy to run his offense. You know, he kind of liked running his offense through the quarterback, quarterback, and he being simpatico with what they were trying to accomplish on any particular play or concept. And yet the scouts within the 49er program decided and kept pressuring him to keep looking at this kid from North Dakota, Trey Lance. And having met him, I was at the draft working for SiriusXM. He came into our, our uh, studio there uh, on site in Cleveland. What an impressive young man, both physically and uh, from a just composure standpoint. He has got presence and then some. So an interesting pick. We'll wait and see. Did they make yeah, the right we'll, call? Only time will tell because you, you, what, what happens to Garoppolo? He become valuable to, in, as trade barter. How quickly can Trey Lance? This kid's only played. Juxtapose this, what Trevor Lawrence's college career was and how many big games he played in as compared to Trey Lance uh, and how many games he played in. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a wild disparity. Right. And, and so We'll hope for John Lynch and, and Kyle Shanahan's sake that uh, he is as advertised. Justin Fields in Chicago, Mac Jones in New England. Good fits? No? Yes? I, I think uh, it was a great play by Ryan Pace, the GM for uh, Chicago. He had to make a play. For Matt Nagy, I, I don't see how you have Andy Dalton in his role as a starter for more than the first month of the season, unless you're four and oh, you got to get this guy a chance because it's a chance for both pace and Nagy to stay employed 
and uh, Justin Fields to prove that he was uh, as advertised. For whatever reason, he was chosen to be the uh, sophomore class biology frog. They dissected him over the course of uh, this evaluation period. No one got poked and prodded more than he, but uh, I'm happy for him. And Jones at New England is a great fit. It isn't a great fit now with Cam Newton's situation because Cam's going to be using his legs. That's not going to be Jones's world. So for there to be one offense, we'll see what happens with Cam Newton. But Mac Jones is certainly a, uh, a very cerebral player, a very accurate player, and both of those things probably are going to mean success for the Patriots. We'll finish with this. If we went back to our 10 or 11 weeks together during the college football season and we measured – the times that Rick Neuheisel brought up certain names on our show unfiltered. Kyle Pitts's name would be right up there. You mentioned Kyle. You loved Kyle Pitts from the beginning. I don't remember ever the hype machine on a non-quarterback, especially a tight end. I guess he's not really a tight end, but he's a tight end. To me, he's a tight end. The hype machine was overheated. It broke with Kyle Pitts. I, I couldn't believe the kinds of things I was hearing about him as as the draft arrived. Boy, those are heavy, heavy expectations that he's going to be as good as everybody says he's going to be to be drafted that high, no? He's a Calvin Johnson Megatron-type athlete. Now, he, he runs in the 4-4s. Four uh, his releases, when he was spread out in Dan Mullen's offense there for Florida, were as good as any wide receiver in the draft. And I put Devonte Smith in that company. I mean, his footwork to get off the ball and his strength with his hands to check defenders arms from keeping him from getting down the field were, were absolutely a thing of beauty. And what he does for an offense as uh, Arthur Smith, the new head coach there leaves the coordinator role at the Titans to be the come the head coach for the Falcons. What he does for their offense is you now have what we call 11 personnel, meaning one back, one tight end in the game, but you can be in 10 personnel formations, meaning four wideouts because he's a wideout. So as a defensive coordinator, even more strategically, 12 personnel, one back, two tight ends, you now are really in three wide receivers. Mm -hmm. So do you have your base personnel in there? Mm -hmm. Do you have your nickel personnel in there? And who's covering that guy? And you put him over in single coverage. Do you have somebody can one-on-one or do you have to put a safety over the top? And now you create math advantages everywhere else. So whether he's getting the ball or he's just a decoy forcing the defensive hands, he becomes an alpha for anybody's offense. And that's why at that fourth pick, the Falcons could not pass him up. It'll be very, very interesting to see because the Falcons might have been in the market for a quarterback. Who knows who the successor for Matt Ryan's going to be? And there they were. Hopefully for them, they won't be that high in the draft again here in the coming years. But they had a chance to go after a quarterback and they passed all of them by or most of them by to get Kyle Pitts. All right, that's it. Rick Neuheisel, who's going. Wait, da- wait you're going down I to have Mexico. News. You, uh, I have news. Yes. What are you going to do? I am taking do? on a new role in my in my burgeoning career. I'm, you know, a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh-huh. I forgot to tell you that I am taking on a new role. OK. In the in the coming week, okay. I am going to be an officiant. For a wedding. What does that mean, officiant? Explain I'm the that. guy. I'm the guy telling everybody to sit down. Uh, I'm the guy doing <laughs> the, you know, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded really? husband? Are you Are you really thinking this through? <laughs> do you Those have the, the, hold on. Do you have the credentials to do this, Rick Neuheisel? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm learning that you can get these credentials rather easily. 
I, I, I mean, I feel like this when the guy asked me to cut the umbilical cord, I said, isn't there someone more qualified? I, but I am actually performing the ceremony in Mexico for our good friend, John Benz's son, Blake. Uh-huh. He's marrying a beautiful girl, yeah. Uh, Cody. Yeah. And uh, I'm in charge. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of uh, a little bit nervous about it, but that's on my to-do list. Wow. So this is the first time you've ever done such a thing, I would assume, right? And probably the last, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, this is, uh, this is the first. So I, I'm excited about it. These are two great kids. They both grew up in uh, right there where our, my kids were going to school. So it'll be fun. I know their parents and they'll forgive me. So what the heck? <laughs> well, I, I guess at the top, we announced that you're not the best athlete in your family anymore. You're not the best coach anymore. You're not the best golfer anymore. Maybe you're the best officiant now in the new Heisel clan, right? I am going to be the best because I'm the only, only to be beaten by certainly one of the boys. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Can't wait. Ladies and gentlemen, there he is. He's no longer Rick Neuheisel. He's Joe's dad, Jerry's dad, and Jack's dad. That's how he'll be forever known from here on in. Thank you, Rick. It's great to visit with you. Safe travels. Enjoy your time in Mexico, and we'll catch up as the college football season draws near. Thank you so much. Look forward to it, Mitch. Take care now. Hey, back with us on Mitch Unfiltered is John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions. Give us an update. What's the latest at Fireside? Well, thanks, Mitch. It's great to be back and just kind of talking to your listeners. And uh, it's been great. The Puget Sound area is starting to open itself back up. And I still think that the whole remodel, people wanting to do something to their home continues to get people pouring into our showrooms. And we feel very, very blessed to be able to help them in any way we can. We want to have your team over to the house to come up with a solution outside. We want to put a new fire pit out there. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about that. Well, tell us about that arm, the fire pit arm of the fireside business. Yeah, it's a great complimentary business to our fireplace business. People want that nice, warm feeling outside, so uh, it's it's done well. So people want to extend those areas outside, so we're able to put a fireplace for a nice living room area outside, or we can do that gathering space under a fire pit. So again, we can do up to uh, fireplaces, fire pits, and we could even provide you heaters outside, extend those uh, chilly nights in the Northwest to a longer period of time outside. Perfect. And while the name is Fireside Home Solutions, you guys introduced Garage Doors, a Garage Doors layer to your business not too long ago. Tell us why you did that and how it's been. Uh, we were able to have an opportunity to uh, purchase one of our competitors. He was doing fireplaces and garage doors. He wanted to retire. So we were able to kind of blend our two companies together. We looked at that garage door business and we said, wow, what a great complimentary business to fireplaces. Creating that warm, cozy feeling inside was that same feeling that people wanted to do on the outside to add to that curb feel of their home. It's one of those things when neighbors drive by and they look at your house like, wow, what happened to that house? And to add that nice curb feel both outside now and then inside the home having that warm, cozy place, it's, it's pretty exciting to have both of those pieces of our business. Well, it's exciting for us to be partnered with Fireside Home Solutions for the last few years. We're really thrilled and privileged to have you aboard. We love you. FiresideHomeSolutions.com Unfiltered What comes down to J.P. Crawford First pitch swinging, line drive, he's done it. John Means has no hit. The Mariners, he's done it. Spencer Turnbull throws (laughs) the eighth no-hitter in Tigers history. 
Moving along on this episode 143, baseball has really gone through something of a metamorphosis in front of all of our eyes. No hitters every week, it seems. Batting averages plummeting throughout the sport due to analytics and approach. The guy I trust most to explain it all to us, of course, is Steve Phillips, the former GM of the Mets and Sirius XM's baseball voice. How's our guy Steve Phillips doing? Terrific, Mitch. Good to be with you. Good to talk a little baseball. Yeah. Six no-hitters by mid-May, Steve. What happened? Was it a, a gradual shift in approach, or did one day a mathematician come along and change everything that you and I knew as kids? Yeah, I think it's somewhat gradual. I think, you know, the, the recognition of analytics, the impact on the game, then, you know, it's one thing of understanding the numbers, the communicating of the numbers and the education of the players is the other thing that has really evolved is that that teams are better at having the guys with pocket protectors, the analytics uh, uh, group, explain information to the players in a way that they, they get it. And what we're seeing now is the result of it. Now, there's some other factors, too. Foreign substances sticky substances really? uh, on pitchers' hands wow. is part of allowing them to get better spin rate and ultimately better pitches that they're throwing. Uh, I think the baseball being manipulated by the commissioner's office and trying to deaden the baseball has had an impact on this too. Shifting and, and all that is involved in it. So there are a lot of different factors, but the reality is we're looking at the offensive production this year being similar or actually worse than they were in the quote-unquote year of the pitcher in 1968, where Bob Gibson had his big year, Denny McLean for the Detroit Tigers had a monster year, and that World Series was unbelievable. And it was after that that they lowered the mound to 10 inches, that they added designated hitters and brought that into the game. And so, you know, it does make you wonder – what is going to happen this time around as we're having another year of the pitcher? And it feels like, you know, this has been a decade of strikeouts going up, hits going down, batting averages dropping, offenses thinking that, you know, the best way to score is to have three guys come up in an inning and having all three trying to hit a solo home run instead of having three guys come up and hoping they each get a single. And I think that that there's been a lot that has gone into this, both with pitchers and with the approach at the plate that is leading to this uh, lack of hits in Major League Baseball today. So let's go through some of the things that you mentioned and some others that I have for you. The sticky substance on the hands. This is an age-old problem. I thought we policed this. What are they using? Are they using pine tar? Are are, are umpires not looking for pitchers using these substances or not? Well, it's illegal. Look, the the rosin bag is effectively a foreign substance, but it's the one approved substance that's behind the mound. Pitchers then were using pine tar, and what they found out is where maybe they originally did it to get just a grip of the ball to control it, they started to learn that the more they use, the more spin they can create on the baseball and the better pitchers they become. So that's something that they've looked for, and it's easier to detect than some of the other substances. But this, you know, attention started being paid a little bit more when the Los Angeles Angels visiting clubhouse manager was called out for actually selling a concoction that he had made and giving it to visiting pitchers uh, that were playing against the Angels. And, you know, we heard names in his deposition or text messages or Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander and some others. And here's the other part of it is Trevor Bauer, who's, you know, one of the, the guys who understands pitching and has studied it as much as any current pitcher in the game. He told us when he was calling out the Houston Astros that 
I've tried to increase spin rate in the pitching labs, and he said you cannot get a dramatic improvement in spin rates unless you use pine tar or a sticky substance. And he said, how is it possible that all of these pitchers go to the Astros and they have figured out some <laughs> legal way to get them to cruise spin rate? Now, here's the pro improved spin rate. Now, here's the problem with it. Trevor Bauer. Yeah. In his Cy Young year last year, increased his spin rates by 300 to 400 RPMs, doing what he said could only be done if a pitcher used a foreign substance. And then he wins the Cy Young award. And so, you know, look, it's it's something that baseball is going to police. You know, you can use certain sunscreens, both bullfrog sunscreen when you apply it before you're sweating and then when you do sweat creates a tacky substance on your arm so you can say look i just put on sunscreen but it allows you to get a grip now uh, on the baseball and so they've got to figure out what's going on they've got to figure out how to police it and now pitchers are gaining that is some part of an advantage incredible and pitchers are really good too they're not just using foreign substances i was going to bring that up to you they're throwing harder and harder longer into games there was a thousand more strikeouts than hits in april i think that's the first time that's ever happened steve i was watching the i don't watch nearly as much baseball as you but i was watching the other day brandon woodruff and jacob Degrom before jacob Degrom got hurt these guys are superhuman i mean hitters have virtually no chance against these guys unless they kind of hang a curveball or do something stupid at this point. Well, that's why uh, hitters, you know, and managers look at it and say, we're not going to string multiple hits together against these guys. So we need as many home oh, run nice. hitters in the lineup as we can so that we can score a run. Right. And I remember Jim Leland talking all the time back when it wasn't even, it was, you know, when the Tigers were facing Johan Santana. And Jim Leland was always great to talk to because he would tell you, you know, bluntly what he was thinking. He said, shoot. He said, we're not going to get a lot of hits against this guy, Santana. He said, so I'm going to put all my power guys in there and hope one of them hits a home run and we can win one nothing because he's that good. But that idea of, and that's why you see power hitters now batting second in lineups because they want that home run hitter being uh, getting as many at-bats as possible in the game. So, yeah, the pitchers are better. They're throwing harder, and they're gaining other advantages as well. And I think baseball is going to have to make some adjustments in the future about uh, what they're going to do to bring offense back. Steve, is part of the pitching issue how good – the specialty relievers and how much we use them are and how how much teams rely on bullpens. If a starter, for example, knows that my manager only wants me to go two times through the order, I can empty the gas tank early and I don't have to try to be efficient. I can try to strike out everyone that I can because I've got four guys coming in from the pen for the sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth that all throw 98 miles an hour. Yeah, I think that, that you know, it's a question of which comes first. So I think that numbers and stats have indicated, and the Tampa Bay Rays were the first to implement this, is that for most starting pitchers, if you look at their numbers, the third time through the lineup, they start to get hit. And it used to be that managers would manage a starting pitcher and take him out once he got in trouble. Now they take him out before they get in trouble. Right. Like they're, they're thinking, like, why did I wait right. when I can bring in somebody else who's a different look, a different style pitcher that might match up better against the lineup? Now, you know, the three batter minimum has been some part of a factor, which I don't like that rule at all. 
uh, and it's not really doing what it was intended to do, which was to reduce the number of pitching changes and to speed up the game. It didn't speed up the game at all. And, you know, we've seen guys where pitchers hit a guy in the face, hit a guy in the ribs, and the manager can't take him out because he's got to face three batters. Right. When both the manager, whose pitcher it is, and the manager on the other team both want the pitcher out of the game because <laughs> he's hit two guys, we can't take him out of the game. And so, you know, there are some unintended consequences of rules, but it seems to me that we're going to have to keep you know, tweaking the game in order to make it as exciting as it once was. How about reducing the, the relief pitchers, the amount of pitchers on a staff? Would they ever go that route? I don't think so because they don't want to have injuries. It's amazing, right? You know, we see nine pitchers pitching in a game right now. There used to be nine pitchers on a staff. That includes five starters and four relievers. Like, that used to be the way that rosters were configured. It's just so dramatically different today than it used to be. And I've never been a big fan of the idea of taking away the shifts. But I think we're going to have to because the, by the, my latest count in, in on our show, we talked about this. I think we're a net minus 650 hits so far this year. If we had taken away shifts and then balanced out what the numbers would have been like of hits that have been taken away versus hits that were received because of the shift, instead of hitting 236 as a league, we'd be hitting 254. What a dramatic difference it would make Shift. if we took shifting away and how yeah. many more times we see base runners staying on the field and, and in the game. It's just not as enjoyable. Now, Steve, I know what you're, you're going to say. You're living in Seattle where literally half of the lineup every single night is hitting in the 100s. But singles, doubles, rallies, sacrifice bunts, hit and runs, stolen bases, they're all gone. It's, it's all gone. I'll give you a trivia question for Steve Phillips. 50 games into the season. We're, 50, we're about 50 games into the season. And two guys, Steve, have double-digit stolen bases in all of baseball. One guy's got 10 and one guy's got 12, and I've never heard of either one of the guys. Okay? How many stolen bases before June in May did Ricky Henderson have in 1982 before June oh, 1st? Yeah, I bet it was probably 30. How about 49? Wow. He had 40. I mean, he had 49 stolen bases before June 1st in 1982 and the league the not the league leader, the baseball leader today as you and I speak has 12. Yeah, that that part of the game has changed dramatically because analytics say that unless you're going to have a 75 to 80% chance of being successful, right. it's not worth the risk of giving up the extra base. And and because we're thinking about the home run, guys are in, in scoring position when they're on first base now because it's yeah. the home run that's going to score yeah. them. It's not going to be a single. Correct. And so whether you're in first or second, if it's a home run that's going to score you, why take any risk of putting yourself on second because you've got just as much chance of scoring on a home run from first base as you do on second base. And so uh, now, you know, one of the rules they're talking about is, is putting in bigger bases. Uh, instead of 15-inch bases, 18-inch bases, which would mean that leading off first, you're four and a half inches closer to second base. That, I think, would add to stolen bases. That would, because it would increase the percentage chance of being successful. Correct. Uh, and I think that when you think about a game of inches, 
how many more times a guy would be successful, especially if they have the oven mitt on their hand when they're sliding. You know, that big thing they're wearing on their hand now so they don't hurt their fingers when they slide head first. It looks like an oven mitt, you know, where you're going to take the, the hot pan out of the oven. Yeah. And then you add on an extra four and a half inches on the bases. You've got a chance to, to really, I think, impact offenses in a big way. Hey, Steve, go back to the ball. You mentioned this at the beginning. They've changed the ball. They've admitted. They've publicly talked about changing the ball. Is it possible they've changed, they've deadened the ball more than they're even letting on to believe? Or am I being Oliver Stone here? Yeah, no, here's the thing. I don't think so. I think when they did it, they thought that the ball would carry three feet less. A 350-foot hit mm-hmm. would go 347 feet with the new baseball. That's what they believed was going to happen. And here's the thing. I think that's probably true. What they, The mistake they made, though, was thinking that that would change hitters' approaches in the short term to get them thinking about, well, if I can't hit as many home runs, I'm going to try to hit singles. What it's done is made hitters think, okay, I need to grunt harder when I swing. Let me swing a little bit harder to get those three <laughs> feet back. It's going to take years for players to make the adjustment to think, okay, Maybe I should think about hitting against the shift. Maybe I should do this. You know, those sorts of ground level changes take time. Uh, You know, it took time for home runs to be the MO, you know, and and as we went through it, even after the steroid era, we kind of went back through the home run era coming back again. And so, yeah, I don't think that it's, it's deadened, you know, more than what they said. But I think that it's it's deadened enough to keep the ball in the ballpark or hit, hit it off the wall instead of over the wall that has certainly changed the game. How big are these problems that we're talking about? Are people watching baseball? Is baseball a popular sport, Steve? Well, you know, I think TV ratings, it's so hard to gauge right now because of the pandemic. You know, we've got partial capacity in many parks. It seems like it's going to start to come back. But I think, you know, the novelty of baseball coming back is going to draw people back to the ballpark. I think I think that will outweigh some of the fears that people have as we get more comfortable and numbers continue to decline with the pandemic and in and COVID. But I think the TV ratings have been great, but that's because nobody's been able to go to the games. And so it definitely needs to be adjusted. We can't just stick our head in the sand and think that people aren't bothered by this. Uh, I think they are. And the old school baseball fan, you know, the traditionalist is going to have to accept that there are going to be some changes, and, and it's just the way you're going to have to go. Mm. Let's end with this. White Sox, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Red Sox, Astros, those seem to be the one, two, three, four, five, six best teams. In Steve Phillips' eyes at the moment, is there one that stands after 50 games higher than the rest? Well, in the American League right now, I still think the White Sox are going to be really good. They're going to get healthier as the season goes on. They're in go-for-it-win mode right now. I think the Astros are really good, and I think underrated in a lot of people's minds. And, and the booing that I think might have impacted them last year, I, don't, I think they're removed from it. They're going to get booed, but it's not bothering them. They look like they're going out and their pitching's better than you think. Yeah, I mean, the Yankees don't have the pitching just yet. The Blue Jays don't have the pitching just yet. The National League's better than the American League this year. Okay. There are formidable teams in the National League where it used to feel like 
The arms race with the Yankees and Red Sox pulled the rest of the American League along where they were the better league. Right now, a lot of stars have gone to the National League. You look at the Dodgers and Padres and what they're doing, the Giants. You look at the Mets. And, and, and so I do think that, that uh, right now, the Dodgers, I think, are still going to be the class of the West. And I do think the White Sox and Astros in the American League seem to be the, the two leading teams early in the season. What do you think of Tony La Russa's reaction to his hitter belting a home run on a 3-0 pitch when the, the team was up by a million? Well, I kind of feel badly for him because I think that a lot of the, the anger toward Tony La Russa is borderline age discrimination. You know, people are saying, well, he's old, he's old. No, you know what, he actually, and nobody seems to be addressing this because this is the first mistake that was made that nothing else would have been an issue. Tony La Russa told his third base coach to signal to Mercedes to take the pitch. He was given the take sign. He either didn't look for it and see it, or he ignored it. And Tony La Russa was yelling from the dugout, take, 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 when he swung at the pitch. What Tony La Russa is primarily upset by is that his player didn't get the sign. And it is disrespectful. And the reason, the reason we know it's not about an old school thing is that Rocco Baldelli, the manager for the Twins, who's one of the younger managers in baseball, he was bothered by it. The Twins were angered by it. So everybody else can have an opinion about whether it was right or wrong. But what that home run did is it angered a team that was 13 games under 500 that a lot of people thought would win the division. And you don't want to wake that team up. And so for many reasons, I don't disagree with Tony La Russa that it was a mistake for him to swing at it. I get that when a position player pitches, it turns into a bit of a yuck fest. I get it. But even so, Mercedes should have had a feel to at least look at the third base coach to get an understanding about whether he should be swinging or not. What is it about La Russa, do you think? He really is the pinata on social media. You really think it's all age-related, or you think it's more than well, that? Well, I think it's a little more than that. I think it's also that he took a position about Colin Kaepernick and about kneeling for the national anthem. Maybe then it was more popular, but today I think people have a better understanding and acceptance and recognition about what it means and what it doesn't mean. And I think that Tony La Russa has acknowledged his growth in that area and understanding. Yet I think that people already thought, you know, he's an old school guy. He's not in touch with today's players. He doesn't understand players. And that never was the case back then. And here's, here's the thing that I hope we get out of this and can understand is that, especially in this year that is the 20th anniversary of September 11th, is that we have a lot more in common with each other than we have different. And if somebody thinks differently than you, and you think it might even be borderline discrimination, which many people thought LaRusso was, was a bit racist in his position on it. And he actually comes around and says, you know, I, I've changed my opinion, I was wrong. Rather than focus on his old position, focus on the fact that he's changed because that's really what we want is for people to change and start to look at things and see things differently. And if they do that, let's acknowledge it and move forward from that point instead of going back and holding their old position against them. Back in 2001 on September 11th, one of the things that we learned is that we're all in this together. 
we're all Americans, we're all North Americans, we're all citizens of the world. Uh, we have a lot more in common than we have different, and let's treat each other better and focus on the similarities and not on the differences. And I think there was, Tony may have earned some of it, but I think now that, that, that he's made an adjustment and grown as a person, then I think we should, should move forward with that being the theme and not the old way of thinking. Beautifully stated in a perfect place to end. He's Steve Phillips. You can hear him on Sirius and XM, the former GM of those 1980s uh, Mets teams and a real, real nice friend of Mitch Unfiltered and the radio show before that. Steve, thank you. Thank you so much. Great to visit with you. Let's do it again sometime soon. Terrific, Mitch. You got it. Thanks so much. Zeke's Pizza president Dan Black joins us. Where else? On the Zeke's Pizza hotline of Mitch Unfiltered. Dan, Good news from D.C. last week. No masks necessary for those that have been vaccinated twice. What does that mean for all the great locations of Zeke's Pizza now? Yeah, absolutely great news. The weather's awesome. We're coming out of COVID, so the party's on at Zeke's. In terms of where we're at with the masks, as it stands, we're still wearing them and our customers are still wearing them. We follow Washington state law or guidance pretty closely, but it's clear that we're heading towards no masks soon, and uh, it's just a matter of when. Memorial Day weekend will be monumental for you guys. 20th location, where will it be? And 20th out of how many? How many will we get up to someday, Dan? At least 2,000. <laughs> write it down, Mitch, write it down. May, yeah, my 29th, we opened in Bellingham. We could not be more excited. We're excited for all of our restaurant openings, but Bellingham is particularly exciting. First of all, it is a great match for the Zeke's brand. We love the people up there. We love the outdoor lifestyle. They love Zeke's, so that's going to be fun. But, you know, the other cool part is it's going to extend our northern border pretty far. And so when we open Bellingham, you know, our footprint will be Bellingham to Tacoma. That's exciting. The like we've talked about, we're filling in all the time and then extending our borders too down into Oregon over to Spokane and hopefully Boise. So, uh, yeah, it's fun. Spring turns to summer. So what does that mean for the black family's palates and appetites when it comes to your choice of pizza and beer, Dan? Yeah, you know, summertime, people keep it lighter, and I do that. We do that on the pizza front and the beer front. I got kids, and so we keep it pretty basic in the summer. We order a ton of pepperoni and cheese. And then on the beer front, you know, I usually stick with whatever kind of our current special Zeke's beer is at the time. We got one coming out with Black Raven. It's a light lager, great summer drinker. It's called Stellar's J, and so that's, that's what I'll be drinking this summer. Mitch Unfiltered is almost three years old, and every step of the way, Zeke's has been by my side. I'm so appreciative of Dan, his crew, and all of the Zeke's Pizza locations, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Amazon, like our kind of technological revolution over the span of my lifetime, is, you know, an aspect of public life and it's not going away. We can't go back to the days before e-commerce and Alexa and e-books uh, and, and cloud computing. And so in some ways, you know, it's really just our responsibility to understand it and make better decisions and how we, you know, kind of force it to change. In 2013, our next guest on episode 143 found himself on the New York Times bestselling list with his book, The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon. Author Brad Stone 
made us wait eight years, eight years, Brad, for the sequel, Amazon Unbound, Jeff Bezos and the Invention of the Global Empire. Brad, welcome to the show. And why did you make us wait so very long? (laughs) Hi, Mitch. Well, first of all, good to be here. Good to talk to you. You know, I never set out. I never thought I would write a sequel to a business book of all things. Uh, And what happened was about six years passed and I looked at the Amazon story and this little tiny company in Seattle had, you know, grown into this sprawling conglomerate that was controlling every aspect of of the global economy and and reaching into people's lives. And I thought, you know, there's just more story to tell here. And then little did I know, you know, HQ2 happens, Bezos' National Enquirer saga happens, the antitrust scrutiny, the pandemic, and there was more story than even I had bargained for. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the latest. It seems like on the whole, the critics have enjoyed it. Bezos is a very interesting man to many for a universe of reasons. I'm wondering, Brad, what is it about him that keeps someone like you, a guy who's got more knowledge about how his mind works than most, what keeps you keenly paying attention and interested in Jeff Bezos? I mean, it's the ambition, you know, the the drive for uh, to dominate new markets, to expand what Amazon does. I mean, if it was still the 2013 company, you know, with a couple hundred thousand employees and $80 billion market cap, I mean, there wouldn't be any more story to tell. But, you know, this book is about the creation of Alexa. It's about uh, the grocery stores and the purchase of Whole Foods, getting into uh, India and Mexico. Mexico, and then Bezos' transformation. I mean, Mitch, you you followed the guy. That's not the same geeky technologist who we once knew. He is like the action hero of the business world. Right. Showing up at award shows and Academy Awards. Is he, from what you can tell, and we'll get into the reason he said no to you on this book, is Jeff Bezos a beloved figure at Amazon? At Amazon, you know, he's certainly an inspirational figure. He might be an intimidating and sort of feared figure as well. And it, of course, depends where you are in the organization. But, you know, he's the founder. Like, he casts a spell in the meetings he's in and in the projects that he personally oversees. But I would say he might also be coming increasingly a distant figure, you know, just sort of managing from afar, letting deputies do the work. He's about to leave the CEO role. So obviously, you know, he he still casts a spell there, but increasingly his world has opened up, you know, as you say, not just the parties and the the yacht and the courtside seats at Wimbledon, but the Washington Post, the space company, the philanthropy. He's kind of bigger in some ways than Amazon now. It's kind of infamous now, your book, that, that Bezos said no to you while others said yes. Brad, is that an indication of his feelings for the first book or maybe did the divorce and all that went along with that serve as kind of a non-starter this time around? You know, we'd have to ask him. Um, Obviously, I was trying to get to him. He allowed me to talk to his executives, you know, his friends. Obviously, like that wouldn't have happened without his buy-in. So if there were if there was ill will around the first book when it came out, you know, folks remember the the one star reviews from Amazon executives. I do think that maybe faded as even employees and 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 other folks, you know, looked at the everything store as kind of the definitive early history of the company. And so, look, I mean, they they helped with Amazon Unbound. That is a book that I probably couldn't have made any better, even if I did have Bezos. I really feel like I got into his mind, understood why they made the decisions that they did and then charted his transformation. And look, he's not going to reflect 
on things like the Inquirer saga or his battle with Trump. It's kind of not in his nature when he speaks publicly. Curious question, probably not asked by any of the other better interviews that you've done. But uh, my teacher once taught me there's no such thing as a silly question, so I'll ask it anyway. Does a best-selling author chronicling Amazon worry about pissing them off enough that they would refuse to sell your book? (laughs) Well, first of all, Mitch, uh, there are no better interviewers uh, out there. (laughs) And second of all, it's, you know, I would be lying if I said no. It's, It's fundamental. I mean, think of the awkwardness. I'm writing about this company that is itself the largest retail partner and seller of the book and not just ebooks or audiobooks but hardcover copies it's yeah. it dwarfs the sales anywhere else so you look at things like how it's showing up in the search ranking or where it's being advertised the number of reviews the pace that they're posted and you wonder is this is this special for me or is you know big faceless amazon right now kind of putting all authors and all publishing houses through uh, through it the chapter on Bezos, ex-wife Mackenzie, new partner Lawrence Sanchez will be viewed as salacious, but I know that you would argue it's much more than a daytime soap opera, isn't it? It had a genuine impact between the walls of Amazon and will be maybe felt for years to come. I mean, look, I when I started the book, I never thought I'd be writing about uh, explicit selfies and cyber espionage and the National Enquirer. Bezos, you know, led us all down that path by conducting, you know, the relationship out in the open and getting busted by the Inquirer. And it did have an impact on on Amazon. It impacted the HQ2 search when he was asking for helipads in New York City. They talked about a, st- a different kind of stock offering because of his divorce. Um, and then, of course, the whole scandal reflected on Amazon's image and his image within Amazon. So I, I certainly think it made an impact. Do you, do you think You know, in the wake of your release, we've got the nosy world now fascinated by the Bill and Melinda Gates fracture. Is there anything that Bill Gates can learn or expect from what became of the reputation of Jeff Bezos in the aftermath of his marriage's end? I mean, there are lessons there, and I don't know if he can copy them. I mean, Bezos used his ownership of the Washington Post to perform a kind of jujitsu move on the National Enquirer, wrapped himself up in the paper, you know, accused the paper of, um, you know, having political motives to come come attack him, mm-hmm. you know, used the, the prospect of a hostile government in Saudi Arabia to suggest that this whole thing was part of a big drama. And it really wasn't. But Gates, of course, doesn't own the Washington Post and maybe isn't all you know as clever when it comes to pulling the levers of, of popular perception and the media. So I don't I don't know what there is to learn from it. They're starkly different situations. And what they share, though, is I think the surprise element of both marriages crumbling and then both couples turning to Twitter, to, of all things, mm-hmm. to announce mm-hmm. their separation. There's similarities and there's a lot of differences between the two men. One huge difference would be philanthropic efforts. The world admired his ex-wife's, Mackenzie's, almost immediate philanthropic gestures after their divorce, which kind of got me reminded of how hesitant Jeff seemed to be at sharing his wealth years earlier. Why do you think that was, that he was late jumping in? He was he was absorbed with building Amazon and, and fixing the Washington Post and you know, didn't didn't maybe think that the time was right for him. And it was, you know, he does this across the board with Amazon's climate 
policy and now relationship with employees, where when the kind of criticism feet reaches a fever pitch, he acts. Mm-hmm. And and at the beginning, it was the Day One Academy and the early childhood education stuff. And now it's the Bezos Earth Fund and a $10 billion grant to environmental uh, agencies. And so it's, you know, it's reactive, you know, and he was consumed with building business. And, and it's also the same reason why Amazon wasn't a huge force for good in Seattle for so many years. Yeah. It's, it's inwardly focused. Yeah. And only after the clamor for them to start giving back did they, did they start to make at least a small impact. Brad, after all the access to the buildings and to the people, do you have a conclusion on the workplace environment and the corporate culture of this U- U.S. icon? What kind of a place is it to work? Yeah, I mean, look, the reports over the years, the, the accounts in, in, in my first book and now in Amazon Unbound, they're not wrong. It's a tough culture. It can be a mean culture. But the conclusion of the research that I've done recently, it was surprising to me, which was that Bezos designed it in such a way on purpose. He's not an extraordinarily empathetic individual. And he wanted to push employees to perform their best, and when they weren't doing that anymore, to move on. And the transactional nature of work, the fact that Amazon extracts the best from its employees and pushes them out, that is all by design. The kind of devilish machinations of a, you know, of a technologist who you know, is trying to build an empire and doesn't really spend a lot of time caring about a harmonic workplace or consensus building. So that was my surprising conclusion. And where are you on the decision to hand the reins to Andy Jassy? I know yeah. that there were other candidates and qualified candidates from within and maybe somebody who had separated from the company, can't remember his name, but yeah. might come back and be the 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 heir apparent to to Bezos. What about Andy Jassy? Yeah, I mean, I think you're talking about Jeff Wilkie, uh, yes, who was the yes. other deputy, right, who retired. They're all named Jeff, by the way, Mitch. <laughs> you can always just safely go with Jeff. Okay. He announced that he was going to retire in early 2020. It got delayed a little bit because of the pandemic. But Jassy was, you know, the guy. He he was Bezos's protege and chief of staff for a while. Then he ran AWS and had tremendous success. And look, I mean. The threat is that, you know, Bezos is the the founder. He's the inventive guy. When he leaves, I don't know who else there can, you know, pull an idea like Alexa out of his head and then push it through the organization. But, you know, Jassy is cut from the same cloth and he's a good operator. The strength of the Amazon machine is so strong that I don't think the, the company will flag anytime soon. But I think Jassy is well positioned to be a kind of Tim Cook and yeah. to continue to oversee the, the growth of the yeah. company. You mentioned the Alexa story. I'm not sure that I knew or any of our audience knows just how close of a baby it was tied to Jeff Bezos, but there were plenty of doubters along the way, Brad. Well, and for a number of reasons, right? Inside and outside the company, one, this idea that you would put a speaker in people's homes that's listening to everything they say is a little unnerving. But, you know, Bezos loves Star Trek. He loves his science fiction. He he also knew that the technology could be good enough, that Amazon could spur some advancements in AI and voice recognition. And that is what he's done over the years, you know, is, is kind of made those things happen. Even as the company's big and the bureaucracy gets kind of thick, he can push it through. The name of the book is Amazon Unbound. Best-selling author Brad Stone Let's see, it's 2021, and even my Syracuse math tells me I got to put on my calendar 2029. 
Are we, no. getting, are we getting the third in the trilogy in 2029, Brad? Uh, you know what? Unless there's another remarkable story, uh, I, I think I might uh, move on to other things. Uh, we'll see, Mitch, and I'll let you know. <laughs> the name of the book, again, is Amazon Unbound, presented by Brad Stone, the best-selling author, the New York Times list from his first go-around, The Everything Store. Brad, great to have you on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks for doing it, and great luck. Great luck to you and the book. Thank you, Mitch. My pleasure. Lindsey Schwartz is back with us. He's the CEO of Daniel's Broiler, of course. And I'd imagine, Lindsey, that with expanding dining room capacities, vaccines, you guys should be seeing some forward momentum these last few weeks and months at Daniel's Broiler. We are for sure. It's been a crazy year, obviously. But uh, over the past several months, every week we get a little bit busier. And uh, now that we can seat up to 50% capacity and tables of 10, we've got pretty much every available seat full every night. So you have Les Shy, South Lake Union, and the Bellevue locations open. Tell me a little bit about what that's meant to your business, the expanded capacity in the dining rooms. Well, you know, we sell the six-foot rule. And so at 50% now, it's about as many tables as we could conceit and still keeping them six feet apart. So it's about as much business as we'll be able to do until there's another significant change. But it's good. You know, we're fortunate that we have pretty big footprints in our locations and we're able to seat a lot of people. And remember, we have outdoor seating at all three locations as well. So um, uh, we got a good amount of seats available. Nice. Takeout and delivery on the rise at Daniel's Broiler as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's one of the one of the nice things that's come out of all this is we've really, really seen a huge upswing in our delivery to go business. And, and even as we get more people back inside, the delivery takeout continues to be really, really solid. So we think that's a really a new piece of business for us. that's here to stay. And uh, it just gives people more options. Fantastic. Always been a great partner of mine, both in the radio days and now with Mitch Unfiltered. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. just 14 years old, Chloe Kovaleski keeps it cool on the course. My nerves don't usually get to me, so I usually just try and keep, if I make a mistake, don't double it, you know what, and if you make a birdie, don't go crazy, just try and make another one, and if you make a par, you make a par, if you make a bogey, make a bogey, it's going to happen. My guess was that drive was probably around 290. Is that a good drive for you? Yeah, that's around average. When the U.S. Women's Open is played this summer at the Olympic Club in San Francisco, there will be a precocious 14-year-old eighth grader hitting bombs and roaming the fairways. She and her mom join us on this episode 143 of Mitch Unfiltered. Chloe Kovaleski and Tina from Boca Raton, Florida. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. Congrats, Chloe. How exciting. How excited are you for your, your next chapter of your golf career? I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a great experience, and I'm really excited. Tell us about your qualifying rounds. You shot 70 and 70. It was a good round. I was happy with how I played, and I didn't really double any mistakes, and I was pretty happy with how I played. I definitely missed some birdie opportunities, so I could have gone lower, but I still really liked how I played. Chloe, you're 14. Was the par on the, the course 72? Did you shoot four under par? Is that right? Two under, two under, yes. Did you, 72. Did you know 
when you shot the second 70 that it was going to be good enough or did you have to wait wait on pins and needles to find out whether you'd qualified I was the first tea time out, so I had to wait around oh, two hours. Oh, those Especially two hours. because I was right around the right around the spot. I had to wait till for the last group to come in. Oh, and oh, yep. <laughs> oh, what did you do for two hours? Tell me that you had some you got on your phone, because all fourteen year olds get on their phone, right? Even guys like me get on our phone. What else did you do? What did you do to keep yourself busy so you didn't Think about it for two hours. Uh, well, I kind of, I called my mom and then also I kind of just, I ate some food and kind of waited and talked to my caddy rock. And when uh, other girls came in and finishing, I talked to some of them that I know. And then after when there was a, like, I think, seven groups left i went on the range to hit a few just in case there was a playoff those must have been two hours two excruciating hours tina you joked yeah. you took you joked recently that that chloe came into the world with a golf club in her hands i, I, I got a <laughs> kick out of that tell us about the upbringing tell us about what it was all like with chloe as a kid well, she, she is my miracle child. And, and I'll tell you, she was, she was born two months early uh-huh. on her, on her daddy's birthday, which is two days after my birthday. So we're, we're living in a house full of Aquarians. And so we're all stubborn. And when she was about, I would say nine months old, I was just going through Toys R Us with her and, and she immediately grabbed out for this blue driver plastic, you know, back then Mm -hmm. they only had the big bubbly plastic clubs and, and she loved them. She didn't even walk yet. She would scoot across the floor and she'd smack the ball and we would just laugh. (laughs) And then I I would say the day after she turned one years old, she um, started walking on her own, completely on her own. She just one years old. She says, all right, I guess I'll walk now. And my husband ran out to the garage and cut down his putter and his chipping wedge <laughs> to fit her size. <laughs> so dad's name is Richard. And yes. and Richard, I'm assuming, is was a big fan of golf. Tina, were you a big fan of golf before Chloe came into the world? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but now I, I can't get enough of it. Chloe, did you did you say recently that you had to convince your dad to come out? Did your dad not want to come out and play after you got so good? What's the story there? My dad and I, like, we would play golf every couple of months, maybe a couple times a year, not a lot. But the last time we played, which was in, uh, I believe it was June of last year, we were on the second hole and he made a birdie and he was talking he was talking oh, trash yeah <laughs> he was talking trash and then i actually got a hole in one on the par yeah, three the yeah. next hole so he said he was done he says that's it yeah i'm done uh, <laughs> i finished the nine because like you have to finish nine holes for it to count yeah or 18 and um it was interesting. Is that your, is that your only hole-in-one? Have you had others? Uh, that was my fourth hole-in-one. Your fourth hole-in-one at age 14? And many of us <laughs> are still searching for our first in our 50s? That's not very fair, Chloe. You're not being very fair. I saw your video of your driver's swing. You don't hold back with the driver, do you? How far are you smashing it these days? Uh, around 280 to 290 on average. Nice. 
How'd you become such a great striker of the golf? Is that your is that your favorite club in the bag, the driver? What's the strengths and what are the weaknesses of Chloe's game these days? Uh, I definitely think that my ball striking is my strong suit, strong part of my game because I don't know. I just I've, I've always put a lot of time and effort into it, and probably around the past year to year and a half, I've been putting a lot of extra time into my short game to make sure that it, it pretty much adds up to my ball striking. What's your day like, Chloe? Take us through what the normal day of a 14-year-old golf, soon-to-be golfing legend is going to play in the Women's Open and is winning golf tournaments around your area and other areas. What's it like? I know you do school from home like a lot of kids these days. Take <laughs> us through what your schedule's like. Uh, well, I try to get up and get out by around 7 to 7.15. And then I come in around 12 when I, it's time to eat. And then I do school for a couple hours. I go back out and then I practice however late I want to and feel. Also, if it's going to rain in the forecast, that kind of changes things and stuff like that. Tina, you guys moved when she was what, six or seven? Five. Five. She was. <laughs> you, R Richard. Richard was trying to do a putting green in the backyard. Is that? Oh what? yeah. <laughs> well, when when I got when when I was pregnant, we were doing an addition on our house, and we finally got all our permits all all taken care of, and we're getting ready to build the house when she decided to come early. Uh -huh. So we had no plans on what we were going to do for the backyard. And he's like, oh, you know, after she picked up that club, you know, he's like, I'm going to put a real, a real green back there and I'm going to take care of it. Well, she wanted to go outside. She wanted to go outside. She wanted to play. She wanted to be in the sunshine, which I would prefer. And I said, you got to do something. He's like, I was like, you got to have, you know, get it going. So he said, I got this. Don't worry. And within a week, I think it was, we had a synthetic golf green back there with six holes, six little flags, a little bunker. It, it was the entire length of our backyard. <laughs> One night we're out there practicing because we had all the spotlights yeah. and, and glow in the dark balls. And she hit one so hard and it went over the fence. And I heard it, I heard it, a big ding. Uh -oh. And then I heard it hit our fence and I was like, Okay, it's time to go inside. <laughs> With and then Rich was like, oh, um, I think we need to move to a golf course community. And we we like move not even, you know, half a mile away. Chloe, it's awesome what your parents have done to give you the best chance of succeeding on the golf course. I know you're only fourteen and maybe it's difficult to understand and appreciate that you will as you get older, but crazy what your parents have sacrificed for you, huh? Yeah, I'm really thankful. They've always been really supportive of me. So, Tina, the spotlight isn't new to Chloe. There was, I don't know much about this, but there was early success when she was young and a reality TV series or something when she was eight. What is that all about? Yeah, it, it was It was supposed to be a spinoff from the, the Netflix short game, but she was, she was still young. That was the first year that she won her um, U.S. World Championship. Chloe, did you watch yourself on television? I watched, I think, one or two of the episodes, but I never really watched it. <laughs> Wasn't that interesting, Chloe? <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew everything that happened, so. Yeah, you knew the punchline. And then the drive, chip, and putt, did you make it to Augusta for that? Yes, I made it to Augusta and then came in second at Augusta. Wow.
How old were you then? Did Richard take her, take you, or did Tina take you? Oh, we both. Uh, my dad <laughs> took me, be, like, because we went up a little early and went around the um in Georgia. We went around to different courses in Georgia, but my mom came up so, with Grammy. Oh, that's yes, so with awesome. my Grammy. That's so awesome. Chloe, do you think you can make the cut at the Olympic Club? Is it is that your goal? It's re- it's really one of the great jewels. I've played it a few times. One of the great jewels in our country. Her mom does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can. Who are your favorites? Who are the people that you're looking forward to meeting? Who are the golfers? Who are the men's players and women's players that you look up to? Uh, I look up to Morgan. Pressel. Pressel a lot. Rock's caddying for me. Uh, she's always been a huge mentor for me. Very so, supportive. I'm not sure who I'm looking forward to meeting. We'll see. Lexi? <laughs> yeah. I know I've played with her brother uh-huh. quite a few times. Uh-huh. Curtis. So we should tell our audience that Morgan Pressel, a, a former major champion, female player, women's player, is from the Boca Raton area. And uh, her caddy caddied for Chloe in the qualifier and will be caddying for you at the women's open. Is that correct? Yes. So you're playing in and you're winning tournaments at 14 years old. Your family is going to get on a plane and go to San Francisco at 14 and play in the U S women's open. What's the long range goal. You're only in eighth grade, Chloe, slow down. Would you please? You're only in eighth grade. What's the goal. Do you want to go to college and play college golf? Do you want to become a professional? Do you want to become a professional early? Do you have any thoughts? Does your family ever talk about that? We we're not one. I'm not 100% sure on what I want to do yet because it all depends on like the opportunities that come up and where I want to go in a couple years. I still have a lot of time to think about it. So what does mom and dad think, Tina? Well, I think she can achieve anything. I, I, I mean, she's done it since she was a baby. Anything she, she wanted to do, she can do. And I mean, she played her first golf tournament at four years old. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it's just, we don't really talk about, I mean, we've talked about colleges. We've talked about, you know, if she wanted to go pro and, and we said, you know what? It's going to be Chloe's decision, whatever decision it is, we're going to support her 100%. And like she said, it's, she's always said, you know, it it depends on the opportunities. And I just say, you know what, you never know what opportunities will cross your path. I sense a very proud mom and dad, Tina. Oh, extremely. Wow. (laughs) Wow. She's my idol. Wow. We're all living vicariously through you. Hey, Chloe and Tina and Richard and Grammy and all the rest. I wish all you guys the best. We're all gonna we're all the way out here in Seattle, but when we turn it on, the TV on for the women's open at the Olympic Club in San Francisco, I know who I'm gonna be cheering for. My hometown, <laughs> my, my new hometown hero, Chloe. Thank you so much for Woo. being on Mitch Unfiltered. Go get him out there, okay, Chloe? Thanks, Mitch. Thank you. I got a question for you. Have you explored opportunities to save money each month on your mortgage payments? All it takes is about seven minutes to see what our next guest can do for you on the phone. Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland Office of Kill Mortgage is on the horn with us. How are you, Jordan? I'm doing well, Mitch. Thank you. I missed you. It's good to be back. Uh, Great to have you back. What's the latest in the Northwest market these days, buyers and sellers and homes? Yeah, everybody's seeing their homes in their neighborhood selling for way over list. It's an incredibly hot market for sellers. um, And we're working with a lot of buyers, helping them get into homes right now. But great time with low interest rates. I'm not sure that I've ever asked you this question. What happens if 
I find a home that I really, really like and I want to act upon, but I haven't sold my home. That's a dilemma for me. Yeah, it's a great question and one we face every day with the buyers that are calling in, especially right now with a little bit tighter inventory. So I've been working with a real estate company and we've developed a program where the company will go in and buy the new home cash for the buyers. Mm. Sellers of the home can move in and then list their home to sell it. Uh, once it's sold, proceeds from that house will go to purchase essentially the private note that this real estate company is willing to go on. So the buyers go nice. on title yep. and it's a private note that we then do the long-term secured takeout financing on. Okay, and how do we reach the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage, Jordan Flowers and his team? Direct line 425-250-3145, cell phone 425-890-2957. Terrific partners, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. So, Stretchy, they call this the other stuff segment. Okay. But we didn't cover a lot. We haven't covered a lot. Just Phil Mickelson. But we've had fun. Yeah, but we haven't talked about how bad the Mariners are, at least offensively. Oh. Oh. Under 200 as a team. I never thought I'd see the day where teams, I guess the league-wide batting average is 234. Baseball has really changed, and the Mariners don't even hit 200 as a team. Wow. You used to make fun of Dave Valley, didn't you, before I got here. I wasn't yeah, yeah. here in those days. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there was a Swanee's bar downtown, right in Pioneer Square. They, yeah. would, they would have beer on sale for Dave Valley's batting average. <laughs> and so we'd always go there pregame yeah. and, and get a beer for $2.02. Did or, he hit over or, 200 or uh, $1.95? Yeah, right there, right there. Yeah. You so. get change back. You, you, you give them three bucks. We, did, we didn't back. discuss the Mariners. We also didn't discuss the story that I think is amazing and for whatever reason maybe because the guy's not an American-born sports star if he was an American-born sports star I think it would get more pub Shohei Otani from the Anaheim the Los Angeles Mm -hmm. Angels of Anaheim yeah leading the American League with 14 home runs and with a 2.37 earn run average on the hill did you ever think in your lifetime you would see a day? I mean, I know Babe Ruth did it, but we weren't alive back then. Right, right. Did you ever think you would see a day where there was an actual Major League Baseball player who was an all-star pitcher and all-star hitter at the very same you, time? You, no. If this guy's name was Joe Johnson from Topeka, Kansas, or if this guy's name was Ken Griffey Jr. or Barry Bonds or some uh, you know, made in America. So we would be literally talking about this every single day. Every day, he would be the lead on Sports Center. Uh, okay. Did he hit a home run today? Yeah, How did yeah. he do? If he's starting, how many guys did he strike out? The guys. The guy has struck out 45 guys in 30 innings. He's allowed 16 hits in 30 innings. He's got a 2.37 earn run average. He's the league leader in the American League in home runs and second in Major League Baseball in home runs. This would be like on the front page of every paper every day. Or am I wrong about it? No, I, I think I think. Well, I thought you were going to go on the local angle, and I think anytime the local team is down, you you know you lose a little interest. I'm but, not talking local. But MLB Network covers. It would be on. It would MLB be, Network covers them pretty good. MLB Network, I watch all the time, and they you do because Trout. Yeah, because Trout. Well, I might have. You know, some interest in some teams this year. But that's another podcast. But they covered the Angels because of Trout. Trout is... But uh, my my point is... Yes, it's amazing. This would transcend baseball. 
The MLB network, yeah. If they're not covering this guy, the MLB network, then nobody's covering this guy. Let's get away from the MLB network. Let's either talk about the New York Times or the USA Today or even ESPN that does all sports. This guy should be the headliner five or seven days a week, and I don't think he is because I think he's from Japan. Well, I don't... Not from Japan. He's just not from America. What about what about your first when you first brought this up about baseball? The, the interest in baseball waning because it's either a, because it's either a home run or a strikeout. Do you think it's because he's from Japan? Phil Mickelson on the on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever nightly news six thirty NBC nightly news. I don't even know who does it anymore. Right? Yeah. Those entities will do a story on Phil Mickelson at age 50 winning the PGA Championship because Phil Mickelson winning the PGA Championship actually transcends sports. It's it's bigger than golf and it's bigger than sports. So he will be featured on those shows. I guarantee it. Yes. This guy, what this guy's doing is even more impressive than when Phil Mickelson, but his name is not Mickelson. He's not from San Diego. My point was, my point was, it's only May. If it's August 15th and it's still going, okay. my, my point was All that, right. let's give it, you know, they've only played two and a half months, three months of baseball. It is an awesome feat that, okay. he's, that he's taking care All of. Right. But that arm, that rubber band arm he has is incredible. Amazing. It, Amazing. Is, it is awesome. And he's fast. I saw him leg out a... Yeah, uh, single into a double. But this turned is, a single into a double the other day. Let's see if he stays healthy. Health has been his issue. Okay. So let's see if he All stays. Right. Uh, you know, All and right. I'll be on podcast one seventy five in August, <laughs> and we'll do August fifteenth, <laughs> and we'll go from there. NBA playoffs. Adam Silver wants to steal a page from all of your soccer friends. Oh. He's trying to pass from the owners a mid season tournament in the next couple of years. He wants to have a mid-season basketball tournament where he gets eight teams together in the middle of the NBA season, a competitive tournament with eight teams, and he offers a million dollars to every participant on the winning team, a single elimination, eight-team NBA tournament in the middle of the year. Bad idea. Ruffle feathers, pissed off players, okay. owners. Someone's I'm just telling be, you, I'm just someone, reporting the facts. Oh, and I'm just going to tell you my opinion that someone's going to be left out of the pie. And it's exactly what they tried to do with the Super League in, in Europe. And and the fans revolted. And it was like, what are you guys? This is dumb. D-U-M-B-B, dumb. Okay. Yeah. Got no, it. That, I think Got that's it. dumb. Okay. Well, I mean, why, you don't need more. Yeah, he thinks that there's not enough competitive nature in the long NBA season. It takes so long to get to the playoffs. And well, then they might did, have a point And there. then they did, you may not know this, they did something new this year where they had a play-in. They had a play-in for the playoffs. They had 7, 8, 9, and 10 in each conference actually play off to get into the playoffs. And it, it went over, I guess, very well. Got good TV ratings and there was interest in it, whatever. And he thinks it's an indicator that we as a community want more competition. We want more more well, compelling. We, we need something in the middle of the NBA season well, to generate our interest. Game 12 of an NBA season is not interesting till the fourth quarter? Yes, that's, and that's what, why he's saying we need right, this. Right, that's, that's part that's of That's why it. we need this. Patrick Mahomes wants you to put a chip, a microchip in the football. Because it will be it will be able to tell us whether the ball crossed the goal line for a touchdown. Oh. He's sick and tired of handing off to somebody and having the officials come in and not know whether he crossed the goal line for a touchdown. He says, put a chip in the football and it'll tell us electronically if he crossed the goal line or not. And another then we don't soccer have to be thing. Another uh, soccer, soccer thing. Soccer's got goal line. A, a, a goal line technology it's called and the, and the referee has on his wrist if the ball goes over the line completely his wrist buzz it will buzz really? yes 
And and I that you started going. I'm like, what? And I like the chip idea. Why not? I don't like the chip idea because we're bringing well non-humans in. How do you know if he's not down? Well, that's a he, whole. If that's, he, if he if before he crosses the goal line, that, that all goes to instant replays. Knee down, his elbow. Well, down, then if it goes instant forever. replay, then let's then let's keep it there. Yeah, keep it yeah, there. I don't know. Move on. Well, the floor's bring, yours. Well, I want to bring... You take the show. No, no, no. I, I want you don't to, like my chip idea. You don't like the mid-season NBA playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to be on probation for three months. You don't think that the no. Shohei Otani story should be bigger. You've poo-pooed everything that I bring up. So why don't you give me the story? I stories? love the Robert Lewandowski Golden Shoe Award. Is that it? Lewandowski? I said Lewandowski. It doesn't matter. Okay. I mean, it doesn't matter. Okay. Polish international. Okay. No, you said that you went up to Phil Mickelson or, or no, you watched someone go up to Phil Mickelson and Hey, you got a minute. Do you remember when you and I were sitting in your seats at a Sonic game and you said, Oh, stretchy. There's Bill Russell. There's Bill Russell courtside. Go down and ask, <laughs> go down and ask no, Bill Russell. I didn't. If he can be on tomorrow's show. I, I didn't. Knowing good. Well, I didn't know that he would, no way come on a he radio on interview. show well he, from his hot tub y you remember that yes i was i i knew i don't think i was on your show at the time okay maybe I, well maybe i was well yes, maybe, hot that, tub produ for maybe that producer went down and and booked him no it was still a, a, a speakerphone too from uh from his hot tub yeah anyways you yeah. said go down <laughs> big game friday night yeah I might have had a couple beers in me. I'd do yeah. whatever you'd like. Again, like my older brother. Hey, Maddie, why don't you go? Okay, I'll do it. Did you go down? So I went down. I, I, had a, I had a press pass. I went down courtside, sat down. He was with, I believe, his lovely wife. Yeah. And I said, hi, Mr. Russell. I'm Matt Johnson with Sports Radio 950 KJR. Um, would you mind coming on our show Monday? And he said to his wife, <laughs> laughed at me. He had a great laugh. He has a great laugh. Laughed at me. But he was laughing at me like he was looking at his wife like he thinks I'm going to come on a radio I show. I really asked you to go down to Absolutely. talk to Bill Russell? Yes. I'm embarrassed facing, to even look at you right now. You were facing. We were facing him. And you're like, oh, stretchy. There's Bill Russell. And I'm like, wow. Wow. I was on a flight home from California one time. It was Bill Russell, Lenny Wilkins, and somebody i was with my girlfriend and i said do you know who we're sitting behind we're sitting behind three of the better players to ever play the game and she was like get their autograph i said no <laughs> you get their autograph you're a cute lady you get her you get the autograph but bill russell laughed at me so when you talked about phil mickelson being asked yeah. to do a radio interview i don't do radio i'm not good on radio yeah you I'm don't not much that? of a radio guy that's fantastic so I know who I did talk to, and this is relative, is Bob Baffert. I met oh. Bob, Balfert, Bob Baffert. You're in, a big horse racing guy. Do you think that, he, that he's guilty of Well, I, I think he's guilty of coming across horribly on SportsCenter. Uh, I, I think I, I saw that, and I thought, oh, Bob, you can do so much better. Yeah. He just came across as naive. Yes. We so, reached out to him to be on Mitch Unfiltered, and he politely declined. Really? Yeah. Oh, when? Not the, to, right just in the last oh, few days. Oh, I, I'm, well, I'm, he's I'm not doing dark. interviews right now. I'm, I'm going to be quiet for a while, but thanks for asking. He was yeah. very polite about his, his decline. He personally got back I to I think you? he said something like, you know, I'm not much of a radio guy. Uh, <laughs> he's a great radio guy. <laughs> I'm more of a TV he guy. Didn't even so go to, he didn't even I'm go to... I'm not a podcast guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll be on 165. <laughs> he, uh, he didn't even go to the previous. So you ran into him where? 
I ran into him in the 2015 Belmont. I sound snooty. But my dad, this was the first event my brother and I and my father went to after my mom passed. And we all went to the Belmont to oh, go see nice. American Pharaoh super nice. try to win the Triple Crown. Yeah. My dad, you know, did the, you know, he kind of sheltered in and closed the drapes for a few months, you know, as it happens. And we're like, nope, we're going. We're going to New York. Who's going to New York? You, me, and Alan are going to New York. Yeah. Oh, we are? I said, no, the flight's already booked. You're going to New York. You're sitting in first class. You flirt with all the girls wow. up there. You sit up there. Alan and I will be drinking in coach. You're going. Is we're that going. true? Well, we all sat in coach. <laughs> but it was good for the story. We, still, we still drank in row 16, whatever it was. Okay. Anyways, yeah. so... My buddy, uh, Grant Forrester, who is a trainer at, at Long Acres and or at Emerald Downs, I should say. I love how you guys that are longtime Seattle people make the mistake by calling Emerald Downs Long Acres. Well, I thought he was All at of Long you Acres. guys do the same thing. You know, over there at Long Acres. I'm like, Long Acres hasn't been around in a long time. It's, it's called Emerald Downs now. Yeah. Well, God yeah. bless him. You, I still talk to Grant. Grant is at Churchill Downs now, okay. trains horses in the Midwest. Yeah. And Grant, great friend, and he got a got a pass for me he's got a horse in the fifth race big race two hundred fifty thousand dollar race big race so he got passes for my dad and i and my brother and we're in the paddock we're down by the horses wow. we're that's our guy that's we don't know the owner i got to know the owner later that day that's grant's horse that's our guy that's who we're cheering for we're in suits stakes. we're in suits and ties really because we're at the paddock and it's a triple crown it's american pharaoh it's a big deal okay and there's Bob Baffert. And I like Bob Baffert. I've followed Bob Baffert on the West Coast, Santa Anita and Del Mar. And, yeah. and I get I I got starry-eyed. I'm like, mm. um, And Alan says, my brother says, go talk to him. What are you doing? Go talk to him. That's your guy. Go talk to him. And I said to my brother, who's the nicest guy on earth, what do I say? He said, just go talk to him. What are you kidding? So I go up, and he's the trainer of American Pharaoh. And, and you say, what are you doing on Monday at 8.05? <laughs> I've got a new job. I quit the Seahawks gig. I'm back with Mitch. Uh, 8.05, I need you. And uh, I walked up to him, and I said, I don't ever do this, but can I get a picture with you? He goes, yeah, yeah keep walking with me. Absolutely. So I got a picture with him. Nice. And he was so nice. And I said, how are you doing? How are you doing? I can barely breathe, and it's five horses. He's got a horse that's going for the triple crown. American First time Pharaoh. in 37 years. Since? Affirmed. Affirmed right? Ooh, how about me? Affirmed. That was nice. Steve okay. Cawthon, though. 1978? 77. 77 was Seattle Seattle Slough, and 78 was yeah. affirmed. 73. How, how, how you like me now? You're doing well. <laughs> You're doing well. We'll take you. You're a radio. Okay. We'll All take right. you on the radio. Anyways, and uh, I said, how are you doing? I, I can barely breathe. And I, I just cheer for the horse. How are you doing? He goes, I'm fine. But most importantly, my horse is doing fantastic. And I said, he is. <laughs> and up, I, up, I went to the window. I went. <laughs> it was the most I'd ever bet on a horse. He had to be but, like even money. Oh, no. Three even, to five. I think it was three to under, five. Under even. Yeah, money, but yeah. it didn't matter. He went out. Victor Espinosa went out. And it was, it was besides Marshawn Lynch's. Uh, Beast Quake Run and or the, the Super Bowl that I was at a great seat, went to that Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. It was the thrill of my life watching. Really? We had fabulous seats. Elmont, New York. Belmont in Elmont, New York. Elmont, and he New came York. flying around. The race was over at the turn. I mean, Victor Espinosa was unbelievable. Sweet. And he came around and that was before they kind of reduced it. There was 96,000 people there to watch this. 
And it was like a frat party after that. Coolers were going up in the air and people were throwing their sandwiches and people were throwing their jackets and their hats. And he came around the turn and I've got goosebumps. And he goes, I have goosebumps right now. And he goes and wins it. And like people, I, I was crying. People were crying. Really? And I met a guy three doors down from me, sat right there and he's crying. And I was trying to talk to him. I said, why are you crying? He said, you're with your dad, aren't you? He said, I would go to the Belmont every year with my uh, father. One of those. Break my heart. And I was like, uh, and I was already crying because this was big for my brother and I and my uh, dad, my, our first big event without my mom. She would have gone. She's huge horse, loved horse racing. Veronica. Veronica loved horse racing. And he said, I've been watching you guys. You're with your dad. My dad passed two years ago and he wanted to see another triple crown. He saw Secretariat and he wanted to see another triple crown winner. And I'm just trying to take it all in. And I kept in touch with him for a few years. He's a great guy, great really? guy. Back east, lived right outside of the track, right out on Long Island. Did you share some of your winnings with him? No. <laughs> no, it was only three to five. <laughs> I wasn't smart enough to do it an exact or a pick three or whatever. But anyways, Bob That's Baffert. Nice so it was a great story. Has I've he blown him. it now? Has he blown I his whole know, image because, now? Because he was considered the greatest of all time, wasn't he? The greatest trainer of of, of triple crown horses right of now, all time. Yeah. Right? I mean, D Wayne. But Lucas he blew it is, now. It's over now. I just think that you know it brings up another point of accountability. Why doesn't he go on Sports Center with the the, the famous guy? What's the up. famous guy? The guy that has his own show, it's a, he's yeah, his Scott own. Scott Van Pelt. Why doesn't he go on there and raise his hand and say, you know what? You know what we did? We put the ointment on that horse because steroids and horse, it's different. They're all, they're on steroids. They recover. They go 40 miles an hour. They're 1,200 pounds. They go 35 to 40 miles an hour for a mile and a quarter. They need recovery units, right? Why doesn't he say, you know what? My groom put that ointment on him on Thursday. We said Wednesday, I take full responsibility. What happened to full responsibility? What happened to accountability? Well, may, maybe if it was his first time being accused of, of, of dirty tactics, he would have done that. But this is right. I, I don't follow it like you do. That's my point then. If he's it's been, his he's sixth been, time. This is, this is over and over and over his, again with him, right? If it's his sixth or seventh time, then he says, oh, gosh justify i said after the derby that he he ate bad alfalfa so it's a urine laden alfalfa or alfalfa that was had a little bit of seed in it that that made him cause to test positive for this come on come on it's already a very interesting quirky sport anyways with the gambling and with the millions of dollars that that there's only 50 people in america that can own most of these horses more than that, but only 50 say they're going to own these horses that cost $1.9 million to own, right? Not the one that won the Derby. It cost 38000 Everybody's heard that story. But what happened to accountability? What happened to raising your hand and say, you know what? I screwed up. I screwed up. I'm convinced that if Pete Rose said when, when they found it, if he said, you know what? I'm just like on casino. I'm on the movie because I'm a degenerate gambler. I'll gamble on two grocery carts. Which, we would have forgiven him and we would, it would have passed. He would have been in the Hall of Fame in five years, seven years. If he would have said, I sit in the parking lot and I gamble with my buddy on which grocery cart will go back into the store first. <laughs> I'm, in such, I'm in such bad shape. Then the next guy says, yeah, I'm a gambler too. Mm, I bet too much on this. I'm, I gamble or I have this issue or that issue. And Yeah, you're right. Pete, good for you. Come clean. Instead, he lied. He lied. Liar, liar, pants on fire. He lied. Stretchy, when are we going to see you appear 
somewhere else. What are you, you going to do? I don't know. You're going to do the rest of your life. Well, what is today Did you call in my Rich head? Moore? Maybe you can do a, a radio show. Maybe you can have your own radio show. You're a big name in this, oh, in yeah? this town. What should how I about, say? How about 710, ESPN 710? What should you think they're hiring? I don't know. What do you think I know? I well, don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, in Stretch the, Johnson in the can climate, be on the air. In the climate, do you think they're hiring? Oh, they're, I don't know. Nobody's hiring in this climate. I mean, what do you um, want to do, Stretch? Play golf. <laughs> okay. You want to get rid golf. of the banana ball? I want to get rid of the banana ball. I'll tell I you what. Hit, I want to hit a straight shot. I'll tell you what. 240 yards. I'll tell you what. Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. We finish up this, this podcast, and then the next couple of months, summertime here in the Pacific Northwest. Couple months, you're on vacation. What about next week? And the next next week counts in the next couple of months. In the next <laughs> couple of months, you and I, okay. you give me a shot okay. to fix that banana ball of yours. Well, will you go and to if, a municipal? Yes, will you go I'm to a go public course? Wherever you want to go. I'll, I'll go wherever Do you want to go. Do I have to come go. pick I you get, up? No, I get a shot. I get no. one chance to try to help you with your banana one ball. One hole or 18 holes? What does this mean? You get one shot. You're going to, on the first, you'll be like, no, no going, go to your to left. Ra- I got to no, go we're home. we're going to a range. You no. and I are going to a range. No, we're going golfing. No, we're not going golf. I just said a municipal and you said yes. Yeah, yeah, we're going to the range. We're going to be, Jefferson. We're going to Interbay Golf Club. No, we're not. We're going to Jefferson for 18. Okay, but I'm not playing 18 unless you give me a chance to fix your banana ball. I fix it on the range. Oh, I see. So, and what? I'm saying to you is if I fix it, you come back on a later podcast and say, Mitchie may not have gotten me perfect, but Mitchie helped me cure the banana ball. Give me a chance on a range I to a, help you with your banana ball. I have a question. Why, why is this such a hard thing? The answer is yes. Yeah, I'll do oh, this. No, yeah, yeah. sure. I'll, I'll, I had a banana ball for, for the first 10 it's years. A fade. Of my, it's a fade. It's a banana ball. It's I a had a banana ball for the first 10 years of my golfing existence. Okay. I fixed it. Okay. Okay. I fixed mine. I'm on the senior tour at 65. <laughs> You're that good. Oh. You're good around the greens. You're that good Horrible with on the greens. So you're telling me you won't go golfing with me. I'll go to the range. You won't go to Jefferson? In- of course I will. But but for the couple- sake of what I'm talking about here, it's I want to help okay. I want to help you with your banana ball. Fade. Can you just fade <laughs> No, your- we're calling it a banana How ball. How about extreme fade? Extreme fade. Yeah. Let me first try to help you with your extreme fade, and then my, we'll go golfing. I think the whole swing is cattywampus. No, I don't think so. I didn't like when Chris. I didn't like when Chris Francis videotaped me. I didn't like that at all. <laughs> and I told him that. I went golfing with Sandmeyer, and uh, Sandmeyer just did, you know, just a picture and so on yeah, and so forth. We yeah. had a great time out at West Seattle. Yeah. Awesome time. He and I had a twosome at 8:45 on a Thursday, like three hours and ten minutes. It was wonderful. We had. We'll play. We talked. So many good times. You, you and I will play. You know, he, I don't think he and I really got along at first when he, the three of us worked together. Yes, you did. No, I don't think so. Yes, you did. I think you, there was a, you know, there was make, a No, a there pull. was no tension. There was a pull. There was no stress. Pull. No, there wasn't. Well, anyway, so you won't go golfing with me until after the driving range. I want to help you with your shot first. Well, and why, then we will go Why play. wouldn't you help me on the golf course? Because you don't fix a banana ball on a golf course. Stream fade. We got to go to the range first. No, you don't do anything at the range you hit off of off a of plastic yes mat. yes we're just we're, every one of my shots at the range why is perfect you, why it's perfect episode 143 this is where i say 143 is in the books can i do that can i close yeah. it out okay yeah. episode 143 is in the books with the bell 